This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Pope Joe's Emergency and Nanomed Clinic, found only in the sewers of Butcher Bay Correctional Facility. Get a stitch up for the low, low price of just 20 menthol cools, and Pope Joe will throw in a shine job for free. Pope Joe, Butcher Bay's best choice, Butcher Bay's only choice. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies and sometimes just action movies. Like the rotting corpses that they are. Hey, we're talking about annihilating. Sure, called the necromongers. Yes, uh huh. It's Riddick Week on Pod (laughs) Cemetery with 2000's Pitch Black and 2004's Wildly Different The Chronicles of Riddick. (laughs) All right, Kelsey, we're going to interject here because in between recording for Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, we watched the next two Fear Street movies. Yes. As a matter of fact, we watched 1978, I think it is, part two. And we liked it so much that when we realized that, oh, also 1666 is out, we should watch that one too. Yes. And I think I speak for the both of us when I say it's a very Star Wars, a Ridge, Tridge... (laughs) Type of situation. Yes. (laughs) Where the first one is really good. You get invested. It's the core of the trilogy. And then you watch the second one and it's even better than the first one. And somehow, even though the third one is good and you enjoy it, it's just not as good as the first two. Nope. So talk about that, Kelsey. So, yeah. So the first one... I liked the first one, but it was kind of forgettable for me. Uh, when we first sat, like, when Chris first brought it up the first time, I was like, I'm having trouble remembering what happened. To illustrate this point, when we were watching 1666, <laughs> and they brought returning major characters from the first movie back, she had no idea who these people were. Yes. I liked it. I liked it. But it was, on the whole, a little forgettable. Then I watched the 78 one, and I kind of was guessing that I, this one would be my favorite, just because it's it's the 70s, it's, I mean, you know, it's not my, it's it's not my late, 80s. It's the late 70s, it's the late though, 70s. so it's close. And it's a summer camp situation, and, you know, that's, that's my jam, right? So it hit on all these levels that I liked. It had What's-Her-Face from Stranger Things, who I really like. Yeah. And the characters just, I don't know, for whatever reason, just they spoke popped. to me more. Yeah, uh-huh. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then the third one happened. And I was like, I I appreciated the story. Like, I thought it was a good story. But it just dragged. I did not think it needed to be as long as it was. There the was- interesting thing is, is that they're almost all between an hour and a half and two hours. 
And, and I think the last, the second and third are really, really close in length. But for some reason, Kelsey thought this one dragged. And that's including the fact that in 1666, part three, I don't think this is spoilers to say, you actually get 1666 for about the first hour. And then that story just ends. And then you get 1994, part two. Mm-hmm. Where they bring us back to the modern, modern in quotes, day to resolve the story mm-hmm. for the second half of the movie. Even still, we didn't even get a full hour in 1666. And Kelsey, and to some extent, me as well, were like, why is this? This is just keeps going. Yes. Like, we can, I get it. It's really, really on the nose with its social commentary. Yes. And it's making 1666 sort of deal with the social mores of the modern day in a way that's just like hit you over the head with it. Yes. And I mean, that was kind of a bummer. What I will say though, is that I was really worried after seeing the first movie that, okay, well now we have the overarching storyline of all these different murderers over all this time. We get the pattern of what happens every single time there's a murderer. Now we're just going to get movies that describe those murders. You know, uh, we're going to get one of the many murders, uh, murder sprees uh, from the history of this curse. And then 1666, obviously, is the origin of them all. And I'm like, well, that's going to be kind of boring. And to my surprise and delight with the second one, it is actually much more integrated with the first movie than you would expect. It's very integrated. And it really, really complements the first movie very, very well. Yes. Really enjoy the first two. The third one is fine, but it just... It's fine. But, it, you know, it's where all the big... Each movie has its own sort of storytelling arc where it goes, you know, the rising action and climax and denouement and all that. And then there needs to be one for the entire trilogy because this this story is very much a complete story in a trilogy. So you also need that across all three movies. So this third movie spends all of its time in like climax zone Mm -hmm. uh and right up at the top the whole time and so it's not really as emotionally interesting as the other two movies are yeah like chris said it just really hits you over the head with its social commentary and it's like i get it yeah i don't need this to be the entire okay it's the entire thing okay (laughs) yeah and I also don't want you walking away thinking that, oh, the third one was terrible and it ruined our experience. It wasn't terrible. It was okay compared to the first two movies, which were really good. Mm -hmm. So it was just a little bit of a letdown. The entire trilogy overall, I thought, I don't know what your thoughts are explicitly, but I thought was very satisfying. I really enjoyed the entire experience of watching all three movies and so close together. I think if we had to wait a year and a half between movies, it wouldn't have been as rewarding. I probably oh, would have been really upset by the third I one. I would have been very upset with the third one if I had had to wait a while uh-huh. for it. So yeah, But I'm we literally glad. saw it the same day. We yeah. saw 78. And Which so might have stark contrast. Me, yeah. Actually might have made me like it less yeah. because I, had, I was on this really high high from the second one. I really enjoyed it. It was 
Very fun. Yeah. Except for the mountain of shit. But luckily, they didn't oh, really deal with God. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was good. Don't worry. You're going to see a mountain of shit. Don't worry about it. Yeah, they're not going <laughs> to deal with it in the way that you think they're going to. Uh, but overall, I would highly recommend it if you haven't already watched it. It's a lot of fun. It becomes more turn your brain off in the third movie. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because my brain was fully engaged for the first two, mm-hmm. especially the second one. Mm-hmm. So, eh. And I will say that growing up, Return of the Jedi was my favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> I was that kid. You know, I was a kid when I first saw those movies. So on VHS in my parents' room, I would watch it like every weekend. I'd watch through the entire trilogy. I just could not wait to get to Return of the Jedi, which was more in line with my childhood sensibilities. <laughs> I wanted to own as a possession an Ewok. <laughs> so, yes, I'm not sliding Return of the Jedi when I use this analogy, and I'm not sliding the third one. I'm just in comparison to the first two. That's where it lies. You should definitely watch it, though, I think. Yes. All right, now we'll talk about Pitch Black. Getting right into the first movie, 2000's Pitch Black, our classic film, (laughs) directed by David Toohey with the story by Jim and Ken Wheat, screenplay by David Toohey, starring Rada Mitchell, another Rada Mitchell movie that's not Silent Hill. (laughs) Are we going to do Rogue next about the giant crocodile? I don't know. (laughs) We did The Crazies, and she was in that. Uh, Also, Cole Hauser. Keith David, and of course, Vin Diesel. Of course. Supposedly, this is based on David Toohey's idea for Alien 3. Never ended up getting made. I can see that. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally see that. So was he supposed to be Ripley? Is that why he's named Riddick? Well, he he was supposed to have been a woman originally, I think. So Ripley. I don't know about that. (laughs) Okay. But I can see that. Yeah, totally. With the aliens and the darkness. Like, it feels like an alien sort of movie. If they had leaned more heavily into horror, this definitely could have been an alien movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is it about? A group of passengers on a spaceship somehow get knocked off course. Yeah, they get pushed out of their shipping lane or whatever. And they collide into a planet that you don't want to be stuck on. That is correct. It is available with subscriptions to Peacock, DirecTV, and Spectrum On Demand. You can rent it for $4 on most services, except for Amazon, Mm -hmm. which for some reason is (laughs) (laughs) $4.20. Why on earth would it be that price? Probably has something to do with the fact that the Chronicles of Riddick is $3.80. Okay. So they bolt together their eight bucks, but they think Pitch Black is worth a little more. Probably has nothing to do with weed. <laughs> you can buy it for 12 to $15 on most services. And it's $12 on AMC On Demand. That's the cheapest you can get it. Should people watch Pitch Black? Yes. It's yeah. good. Unfortunately, like I said, they could have easily leaned more heavily into horror, but that's not what they were doing. Yeah, there's a lot of action. It's closer to Aliens than it is to Alien. But it it does have scary moments. Uh-huh. And it is fun. I 
totally agree. Yeah. Obviously a vehicle for Vin Diesel and his Riddick character, as we find out with all the rest of the Riddick stuff that's out there that we'll talk about shortly. But yeah, it's just, it's really weird, especially if you didn't see this first. I think if you were to consume all the other Riddick stuff, the video games, the Chronicles of Riddick, Dark Fury, like that kind of stuff, and then you came to this, I think you'd be confused. <laughs> what is this movie? Yes. This is how it all started. Yes. I've heard a lot of different things. I have friends that really like this series. Oh, yeah. So do I. And I've heard things like like, it's all Vin Diesel, like pushing all of this stuff for Riddick. And well, in a way it is. Pet project. It is. Yeah. And he founded the video game production company that produced the two games. Really? Yes. Uh Tygon Studios. So I really liked this movie when I first saw it, and Vin Diesel is really what made it believable and fun. I'd say fun is key. It is, and it becomes even more so after this movie, this sort of ego-boosting thing. Now, he's not, like, writing these for himself or anything like that, but he is heavily involved in their production. And, you know, David Toohey is kind of the one who – it's his baby. Uh, he's the one who writes and directs these movies. But still, it plays like a D&D game. And we'll talk about D&D actually a little bit later. Like a sort of bad D&D session, he plays like one of those role-playing characters. I've mentioned it here on the show before, you know, that – that thinks that they're completely badass and role plays as if they're completely badass and wants everyone to be like super impressed with everything about them. And oh, aren't, aren't I edgy and mysterious? And is- I'm a perfect murderer. And and I have no weaknesses except the one that makes me really interesting. <laughs> but the difference is he is badass. Well, see, no, but that's that's my point. <laughs> Not so much in this one, more so in Chronicles of Riddick, but a little bit in this one. You just kind of need to go with the flow, and it is a lot of fun. It's just fun having Vin Diesel act like a badass. It's just fun. And I'd like to say that Chris is a jerk. (laughs) I know where you're going with this. And right before we watched these movies, (laughs) he showed me the real commercial that Vin Diesel did for his the new Fast and Furious movie. It's been a while. The roads were a little empty. Places where we used to gather went quiet. We've gone through a year that tested us. But we're starting to see the promise of a new day. For more than a hundred years, There's one place where we all came together to be entertained, to escape, to go someplace new. The movies. And then he showed me the SNL skit. It's been a while. For the past year, the roads have been a little empty. But we're starting to see the promise of a new day. Yo. I'm Vin Diesel. For more than a hundred years, there's one place where we all came together to be entertained. The movies. And that was all I could think about. Like <laughs> The movies. The popcorn. The previews. 
the pretzels. <laughs> and don't forget the movies. Because, I mean, you know, I don't want to make fun of his voice. He's got a great voice, mm-hmm. but... That's all I could hear the entire movies, so I don't recommend you watch that before you watch these movies. The movies. The movies. (laughs) The movies. Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. Reminder, that advice is, yes, you should watch Pitch Black. When we get back, we will talk about 2000's Pitch Black. You're not afraid of the dark, are you? On this planet... When night falls, terror comes out to haunt. Only light can keep it away. We stay together, we keep the light burning. But the light is running out. A total eclipse. Critics are calling Pitch Black the scariest sci-fi thriller in years. Get down! Pitch Black. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Pitch Black begin? So we get to see the spaceship... And we hear a a narration from Riddick. Yes. He explains that in cryosleep, all of your brain shuts down except for the animal side. And because most of him is an animal, he's a Furian, which they're barely even going to talk about in this movie. But it will become very important in the sequel. It pretty much doesn't matter in this movie. Yes. But being a Furian turns him into an animal. Except that I think it's more in this film, it seemed more that they were trying to make him seem like he was this crazy evil guy, and then in the next, in the sequels to come, they turn him into this this amazing guy, is what you learn. Do you want to know why he was arrested originally? Didn't he do something great and the government wanted to cover it up? It's not the government. I know, it sounds like that. It is basically that. It's a company. You know, these giant mega corporations and stuff like that run mining operations and other such things on these various planets. It sounds very similar to Running Man. A little bit, yeah. But that's like insurance companies. The government, but <laughs> yeah. covering Loan it up, putting him banks, in jail. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah he, he does what he does Giant very, very guy. well. He's a fantastic. He's an interesting voice. Yes. He's a fantastic <laughs> pilot and uh, soldier. And he's really, really good at what he does. And Sounds he gets promoted, a lot like Running Man. And he's perfect. And then he talks out against the working conditions on this planet and how the security was treating the people, and how it was basically slavery, and so... Sounds a lot like mm -hmm. Total Recall. I mean, maybe, yeah. Imagine it's Total Recall on Mars, and he's speaking out about the bad conditions, and so they had him arrested, because corporations can just do that this far into the future. And so, like, he can't even have... This is what I'm talking about. Total Recall and Running Man. This is what I'm talking about, though, when I say that, like, he just needs to be so badass and perfect all the time. He can't even actually have a twisted backstory. Yes, he's a killer, but because he's a soldier. (laughs) Not because he's, you know, a mercenary, like he said. He calls himself a mercenary because the soldiers were basically mercenaried out to these companies, you know? So it's like, he's not even an interesting killer, and you don't know why he killed somebody, and, you know, it has to be, he's a good guy with perfect intentions, but also a great killer, but for good reasons. And, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of mythos that they're building around the character of Riddick. 
And please don't misunderstand me. I'm just acknowledging this. I am not saying this makes it bad. Well, <laughs> none of that really matters because we don't get any of that. But you're in supposed this to film. think he is this ruthless killer that yes, everyone should be. In this one, of. you are definitely yes. supposed to be thinking uh-huh. he is a ruthless killer. And in fact, even when you get to understand that he's the ruthless killer with the heart of gold, you are still supposed to believe that he has done a lot of bad things. And then you put in all that shit and it's like, oh, so he didn't really do anything bad. He's just like, you're going to call me a bad guy? Yeah, basically. Be a bad guy. Johns is the guy who is purporting himself basically to be a police officer. Um, he is, in fact, but a he, merc. He's, he's a merc. He was the one who took him to Butcher Bay, which is the prison that he goes to, where the first game takes place. And you spend all your time breaking out of there. Then Dark Athena happens. And I don't know quite how they get from Assault on Dark Athena to this movie, but somewhere in there, Johns captures him again. And so he is transporting a fugitive on this ship that gets knocked out of its lane. They don't really care to tell you why or how. Yeah. It's unimportant. It just happened. In amidst all the chaos, the captain is killed. Yep. They are headed to crash straight onto a planet that they know nothing about. We meet Fry, played by the chick from Silent Hill. Yes, Rada Mitchell. Carolyn Fry. And she's she's got a real quick arc. She goes from wanting to kill a bunch of people to wanting uh, to save as uh, many as people as she can uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I mean, Riddick has a similar arc. Not caring about anyone to caring about somebody at multiple people. Right. Not but saving himself when he could. He didn't of. go from wanting to kill 40 innocent people. Okay, but she didn't. Her thing was everyone will die of these. So she tries to lose the additional cargo to reduce their weight coming into entry on the planet. It's really shitty because if you're thinking around along the alien lines, it's almost like he's comparing this to what she does in Alien. And that's really fucking unfair. Yeah, where she's like, no, we need to maintain quarantine. A very different story. Yeah. But, you know, she's like, well, if anybody's going to live, then we need to... But the other guy who also works on the ship... Doesn't want her to. He's, he prevents her from doing. He cuts off that control. Oh, is he the one that yes. does that? I thought yeah. the ship just malfunctioned. No, she. he does something right before she pulls it, and then she yells at him. Mm. And they just head straight into this crash. But she's able to land it okay. But a lot of people died. Yes. But there but are still some really people who are alive. that's not really her fault. It's because of the atmosphere. Blew them up, right? Oh, yeah. The whole thing fell apart on reentry and this killed a bunch of people. Has a completely illogical ecosystem. <laughs> yes, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but we'll we'll talk about exactly what's going on later. Basically, they're in a desert. And they are in a desert. It is actually in Australia. It's the same place where Beyond Thunderdome was filmed. That ship that they leave, I think it's the ship. It might be one of the encampment places that they find, but it's just, they just left it there and you can go by and see it. You can see it on Google Maps, apparently. <laughs> That's fun. It's called Cooper Petty or Cooper Petey, whatever the name of the place in Australia. They have funny names for things. Yes, it's a planet that has three suns. So, yeah, they find back. out. So, yeah, it, there is no sunset. As soon as the sun starts to go down, two more come up or vice versa. Mm hmm. So normally it would always be daytime and it's a desert because of it. Yeah. They're going to find out something a little bit later that's the main conflict in the movie. 
once people have, you know, after they've gotten themselves out of the crash, of course, Johns realizes that Riddick has escaped. Yeah. I hate that he's able to get Riddick so quickly. I get that it's because he has his handcuffs on, but I don't believe that he would have been able to. Also, the dude who prevented everyone from dying. He's dead. He Well, he gets impaled on something in the crash, and it's important for you to know that he dies in a lot of pain. Yes, he dies in a lot of pain, but he also says as he's dying... Don't touch it! Don't don't you touch that handle! Which is enough to let Johns know that she tried to kill them she all. She did something, yeah, uh-huh. I don't necessarily believe that he would have figured that He's out. He's a smart guy. He know. I mean, there's a different culture when you're flying these sorts of ships in space. I'm sure don't touch that handle is not an uncommon phrase to understand. Perhaps. But yeah, so R- even though Riddick has escaped, he's able, Johns is able to apprehend him quite quickly. We have a couple of different survivors here. We have a teenager, I guess. Yeah, teenager named Jack. We have Claudia Black. He's supposed to be like 11. Yeah, young teenager, tween aged, who is obsessed with Riddick. Thinks that Riddick is so fucking cool. Yes. And uh, there's Claudia Black, who did a lot of voice acting. She's in a lot of video games, playing Shazza. There's Paris P. Ogilvie, who is an antique stealer, who has a bunch of antiques on board. Who's super annoying throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah, and he likes the finer things in life. There's a guy named Zeke, who I guess is Who's also Shazza's a husband? Yeah, they're to- or they're partners, or they're together. I don't really, it doesn't really matter. And he's an idiot. Yeah, there's... Another survivor that we'll meet for two seconds from the rear. You know, like in Lost where Before the plane splits. her partner kills yes, him. Yes, Zeke will kill him thinking that, it, that it's thinking Riddick. Thinking it's Riddick. And there's Keith David, who they only call Imam in the movie. I'm sure you know Imam is a title. It's not actually a name. It's a reference to... His wife calls him Imam in the sequel. Wow, he still has that title. His name is Abu Al-Walid. Imam refers to the person who leads prayers in a mosque. I looked up to see, like, does anyone who is actually Muslim, like, have a problem with the way they're represented in this movie at all? Other than the fact that Mecca will stand until the end of the world, until the end of time, that's, like, the only problem that they have. Because Imam, Keith David, has three other pilgrims with him and they're headed more than that and they're headed to new mecca yes so the idea that there is a new mecca doesn't really fit with the religion but who knows what the circumstances are maybe there's a change uh so Uh, all those little boys that were following him on a pilgrimage die die by the end of the movie like they are literally just fodder but every conversation i saw about it was basically just like this is really fucking cool you know, that's because we like this movie and our religion's being represented in a unique way. When they're praying, though, the prayer isn't right. Mm. But, you know, it's a real thing, but that's not what would be happening. Oh, and an interesting touch. They pray upwards because when you pray, you pray facing towards Mecca and Mecca's not on the planet. It's up in space to them. So I think that's pretty interesting. It's an interesting little little. So you're tidbit. saying that when they go down, it's because they're... Because they think Mecca is the world? No, they go down and their heads point towards Mecca. 
Like they, if if you were here, you would face towards the east. Oh, oh, oh I get it. Okay. Yeah. I see. That is fun. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So that's basically everyone who survived. Yes. And Riddick will again escape by popping his shoulders out. Although Chris said it, he didn't really, or he did do it. He but did they, do it, but they, they augmented it with CG. Why? To make it look like his shoulder was popping out of Is location. that not what he did? No. Then how did he do it? He actually has that range of motion. So that's just a thing he can do with his arms. And they just made it look like his shoulder was dislocating. So what you're saying is, if you actually put him in handcuffs, he would no. be a... No. He needed that to be as far apart as it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But he can't actually pop his shoulders no, out. No, he didn't actually do it. I mean, maybe he can, but <laughs> <laughs> not for this movie. <laughs> so weird when people can do that stuff. I do want to mention, I have here on a note, that when Zeke shoots the survivor from the back of the ship who makes it all the way. Oh my God, you people are alive. And then he just gets immediately shot. And Zeke's like, I thought he might be Riddick. And then it does this really, really cool zoom past Zeke's head to Riddick sitting in Paris P. Ogilvy's chair underneath the umbrella and sipping from the bottle. Yes. (laughs) It's a great moment. I love it so much. Uh, It is. And that's the thing. Like when we say it's fun, it's, the fun is all centered around Riddick. Yeah. Riddick. Uh-huh. So once he's escaped again, Johns takes this as an excuse to really try to scare everybody about him and like mm-hmm. says all this crazy shit about him so that nobody trusts him. Also in here, while Riddick is being weird around Fry when she doesn't know it, he's behind her and he like cuts off some of her hair and he mm-hmm. smells it. Mm-hmm. And then he does this thing with his fingers and just let it lets it fall out of his hands. That's the moment when Johns confronts Fry about you were going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. I know that about you. Yeah, because she assumes he's a cop. Because he doesn't say he's a cop. He doesn't, he never says he, they make a point of that. I never said I was a cop. Right, so she assumes he's a cop, and and he's kind of trying to pretend to be a cop, but also he does a bad job of it. Like, there's, like, a time when, like, he full-on tells her, shut up. Oh, sorry, thought I heard something. He's just supposed to be, he just exercises his authority and tries to lead everybody. Hmm. Now, when they discover that there's three sons, Imam says that he takes this as a good sign. I don't remember why he thought it, that was a good thing. I don't know. We take this as a good sign. Path, direction from Allah. Blue sun, blue water. But they all assume that there's got to be water. But <laughs> and, you know, you'd, I would assume there has to be water. I mean, this is a planet, but it is literally, she says, like, is this whole planet dead? Mm-hmm. And, like... Does this, does any of this ecologically make sense? If this place truly did exist, had three suns to the point that it is that hot, um, nothing can live. They don't find any plants. They don't find, uh, mm-hmm. there's only one type of animal that they find alive on this planet. There's no other living thing on here. Like, I guess that's like Mars, but then how does something exist on it without water? What do they drink? What do they eat? I It's confusing. There's a whole ecology here that's happening, not in the middle of the fucking desert. But I mean, if you think about it, it's filmed literally in a desert where everywhere you look is just nothing but desert. 
and that's on a planet that has other things going on. They've only seen this portion right, of the but planet. We also have nighttime. This goes twenty-two years without it. Yeah, I'm saying I don't know what's going on. I don't know how long they hibernate. I don't know what the deal is. Well, it sounds like they hibernate for twenty-two years. Yeah, maybe. Or they're underground. That's where their larva is. Right, but what do they eat? Themselves, each other, which doesn't make any sense. We mentioned, we talked about this when we were watching it. It doesn't make any sense that they could exist off of each other and... It's the zombie problem. Right. Well, yeah, their food source is also their source of procreation, is also their greatest predator. Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense ecologically. Mm -hmm. Zombies would not work. Mm -hmm. But, again, we don't know what else is going on on this planet. We don't know if they weren't just hibernating for 22 years. Like locusts, they hibernate for 17 years or whatever. So cicadas? Cicadas, sorry. Yes. Right. No, I understand that. So maybe they came out of their hibernation and now they're hungry because they just hibernated. We don't know if they don't fly 20 miles that way and there's abundant food sources. But I'm sure... Somewhere in the extended universe of Riddick, something says it's a desert planet, like it's fucking Tatooine. What kind of god would make a planet with only one geographical feature or geological feature feature. or something, whatever that line is? Yeah. Look out, world! Here comes Great Dragon! This is it, Mom. Everyone has a destiny, and mine is just over that horizon. Cray, listen to reason. The elders all say it's just a never-ending ocean of desert out there. Oh, pish posh. What kind of cruel god would create a whole planet defined by just one topographical feature? Why, that'd be as ridiculous as a whole world made of nothing but ice, lava, or forest. No, sometimes you just have to dig deep down inside yourself and find the courage to say, Look out, world! Here comes Great Dragon! So good. (laughs) Anyway, we get to see a little bit more of Jack, and I'm super disappointed with the sequel, because you really come to like Jack. Yes, very, very much so. Like, a lot. Yeah. You're supposed to think it's a boy, and the first time I saw this, I thought... That looks like a girl. Mm-hmm. The person I was watching it with was like, oh, it's a boy. They knew yeah, uh-huh. it was a girl. Well, they wanted to trick me, and I totally bought into it. I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. it's just a teen. I mean, a tween, and some tween boys do look like that. It's absolutely true. Yeah. So I was just like, all right. And then it turns out it's a girl. Who looks like a boy because she's basically on her own and knows that that's the safest way to travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she was a young girl out on her own in the middle of the space traveling with a bunch of who knows what, mm-hmm. uh, it's safer if she looked like a teenage boy instead. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's not uh, a trans man. No. But a really cool character. She's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's just really fucking shitty what they did to her in the sequel really really sucks that they did not put her in the sequel and hey you know what would also be a great place not to be a sexy lady yeah a prison yeah full of men well i mean according to her story in the sequel she becomes such of a ruthless killer that is (laughs) no it's because she's been slaved out that's what she says ah yeah Mm -hmm. she tried to follow riddick 
joined a group of mercenaries who said that they would teach her the trade. They instead slaved her out. Yeah, and that's in Dark Fury, the animated short. Yeah. takes place between the two movies. And so that's when she changes. And I mean, I'm fine with that backstory. I'm just not, I'm really not okay with them not using the same actress because, I mean, not that she's, you know, the best actress I've ever seen, but she brought something to the character that you really, really liked. Yeah. And then that just was not there. In this Other sequel. than the fact that they already have an established relationship and that's needed for the plot of the Chronicles of Riddick to actually happen. Mm-hmm. Other than that, she might as well be a completely different character. Yeah. And I mean, exactly. She's just like this sexy girl. And it's like, well, it's not like her and Riddick are ever going to hook up. She even does so. that that hair move when she lands. She lands with one leg out and one hand down and flips her hair back, just like in Black Widow. <laughs> but she just, I mean, she's fine, but she's certainly not fucking 17. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting too much into the ground. Whereas this girl would have actually been that age. Uh-huh. Frustrating. Anyway, so she's become, a, she's starting to really idolize Riddick and she ends up shaving her head. Uh-huh. She had a really short haircut before, but then she shaved it off mm-hmm. and she starts wearing glasses like he does. We even talked about his goggles. He wears goggles because he has special eyes, which we will find out later are because he was put into a slammer where you'd never see light bef- again. So he gave 20 cools to a guy. Who turns your eyes into animal eyes. Gives him a shine job is the way he describes it in this movie. We'll learn more about that in Chronicles of Riddick. I remember watching you for some reason playing Play Butcher Bay. Escape from Butcher Bay where, Which yeah, that's part of the plot. Which doesn't make any sense because that came out well before I knew you. Why did you play it? Well, Assault on Dark Athena came out later and that included Escape from Butcher Bay mm-hmm. in it. And so the, you're you're intended to play Butcher Bay right into Dark Athena. Do you do that, though? Do you have to give him 20 cools? I will talk more about that when we get to Chronicles of Riddick. Okay. So they are all drinking heavily under these three hot, hot suns. Because all they have is this, like, rare booze that Paris has that he wants a receipt for because he wants to get reimbursed. But nobody gets sick. Nobody feels ill. Everybody's fine. Even though she even says, you know, we really shouldn't be drinking this. It dehydrates you more. Yeah, they don't even fucking... They're like, oh, whatever. And they just don't talk about it again. Yeah. They just need to have this alcohol for later on in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So they finally find signs of life and they find a place where people were clearly trying to, I don't know, set up shop. And everything is solar powered, which makes sense because it's, you know, the three suns. And so they're really excited because they're thinking, hey, we can get the hell off this rock. We've got a ship now. And and water. But the question is, what happened to these people? A la aliens. Right. They're just gone. Mm-hmm. That dick Zeke who went, who kills a guy who's just like, oh, thank God, I thought I was the only one who survived. Zeke will end up looking for Riddick if in a hole because he hears something, so he assumes it's Riddick, so he goes yep. after him like an idiot. But it's not Riddick. Even if it was, he didn't stand a chance, but it's not It is one of the creatures, but they don't know that. And when they find that this guy is dead, the rest of the group assumes it's Riddick because of what Johns has told them. But now Riddick is very curious about these creatures because he's definitely watching all of this. Which again, yes, it's building this guy up, this mythos of this 
character who, yeah. who mm-hmm. as Chris said, lives in the shadows. And I gotta say, I love it when Riddick is in shadows because they just do a beautiful job of him coming in and out of the darkness. I think it is gorgeous. How he's getting around in the sunlight? I'm not so sure. You're right. But it is fun. It's fun to watch. And like you said, the shots are cool. Like the shot of him sitting up on top of the ship is fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they end up catching him, Riddick, again. And amidst the hullabaloo, I guess he tells Johns that he heard something, which we never see, which bothered me. Now, Chris is like, what does it matter? It's a stupid thing. It's a throwaway line. Who cares? I mean, you know, they said it. They don't have to come back to it. I understand that. You haven't explained to me why he would bother to tell Johns that he heard something. At this point in the story, they have built up zero rapport. At this point in the story, they still want to kill each other. Not that their rapport is great later, but it does develop. But it is not developed here yet. Right, so but why did he tell him he heard something? If he's stuck with them, why wouldn't he tell them? Like, if your suggestion is, why tell him you heard something? Let him die? Well, then fucking he dies too. So, yeah, it's a good idea to tell him. My, my point is, is if we see a scene where Riddick tells Johns and then later on Fry comes up and talks to Riddick and then she says, Johns told me you told him this thing. Now we just have the same moment twice. So just cut out one of them. But so this is when she ends up seeing his eyes. And yeah. this is when we find that Jack is also watching. And this is when she says her fun line, where can I get me eyes like those? Yeah, and he says the thing about the 40 cools. Yeah, and then they're going to bring that up in the sequel. And it's so unearned because it's not her. <laughs> where the hell can I get eyes like that? Gotta kill a few people. Okay, I can do it. You're going to get sent to a slam where they tell you I'll never see daylight again. Dig up a doctor. You pay him 20 menthol cools to do a surgical shine job on your eyeballs. So he can see you sneaking up on you in the dark? Exactly. Anyway, so Riddick somehow convinces them to go looking into the spot where Zeke died. Maybe to prove that he didn't do it. Like, go and find out. Go and see. uh I have a problem with this. Why on earth wouldn't Johns go in and look? Because he's a coward? I understand that. Why would everyone be okay with him not going? Right, they yeah. don't they all assume he's a cop? Doesn't he kind of want to br- like keep that facade? Right. Up? But you know how in Star Trek how Captain Picard always goes down and, and Captain Kirk they always go down on these missions in Next Generation with Picard they talk a lot about how you're the fucking captain. You should not be going on these away missions. But in the original Kirk just always did, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you really should not. If you're leading a team of people, you should not be putting yourself in harm's way first. That's just the reasonable thing. Now, that's not why he's doing it. He's <laughs> doing it because he's a coward. Right. But a reasonable person might say, why would the leader of this group go into this place where it might potentially be dangerous? So who goes in? The captain. 
Fry, yes. the captain of the ship, yeah. Yes. She goes in and she ends up finding these caverns. Now, why they don't attack her right away, I don't understand. It's weird. They don't really explain why. Now, that I get sometimes. that there is sunlight. I get uh-huh. that there is sunlight, but she's not always in the sunlight yeah. and she has no idea to do that yet. And she's already past the place where Zeke got attacked. Yeah. And later in the movie, they're going to make it seem like it is instantaneous. Yeah. Them eating you alive. So it's just like, ah, sure was lucky and none of them uh-huh. wanted to attack her. So she ends up getting caught in, they think they're trees, but it's actually like sand that's been like swirled up. Yeah, it looks like, it looks like a, like a termite nest or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know what, I'm sure it's a some sort of geological feature. So she's trying to get out of there because she discovers them, but they're not able to eat her somehow. I know that they probably, like I said, guys, they probably get hurt by the sunlight and she's able to get away. I get that. But it just doesn't seem very believable. I have to watch it. She does have basically an interaction with these monsters and has to get out and she's screaming and everyone can hear her scream, but they don't know where she is until... I, I, she kicks I, kicks it out. They end up finding her. They Yeah, they break through. She doesn't realize that she's necessarily in one of these things, and mm-hmm. they pull her out. And then she gets yanked back in by the cable that was attached that's going all the way through these caves. Yes. Yeah, and they have to cut that. Yes. That is, yeah, because that's the problem, because they've got her hooked up. Emom is holding onto it to make sure that nothing happens uh-huh. to her. But since she didn't go back out the way she came in... That's become a hindrance. Yeah. (laughs) Again, Johns will confront Riddick, but they end up letting both of them live, and I'm not sure why. They both have the chance to kill each other, and they don't. I guess because he wants to use him for muscle, but I don't know why he wouldn't kill Johns. It's to be badass. I guess. (laughs) It's just more badassery. I suppose. We see some of Imam's followers, the kids, get killed, which is sad. Yeah. I mean, over the course of the movie, they're basically just red shirts to be killed. Exactly. Yes, they are just there for you to watch these monsters destroy them. And there are some good scenes. One of them ends up running into a dark room. This is, again, before they understand that they can't be in sunlight. Yeah. So he runs into a dark room, which is filled with them. And these are the, uh, like, the bat-like forms. Yes. So there are three forms that we get. Oh. This is the first form where they're just, like, you know, they're hanging up in the rafters and stuff. they were smaller. Yes, these are really small ones. Mm-hmm. And they flap and they fly and they consume in swarms. That's how Shaza will die. She gets ripped apart by these swarms. Mm -hmm. So they have the swarming smaller version. Then they have the big hammerhead versions that sort of move around on their tail like a kangaroo almost. And they have these two giant claws and these hammerhead eyes on either end and these giant wings and they fly around. Yes. So that's like the final form. But there's a third one which we won't get until almost the very end of the movie. Okay. They end up discovering that they are allergic to light because they see one of them get hurt by one or something. So they're like, fine, we'll just stick to the light. But then they find an orrery, and they discover that this planet at 23 years or whatever it is will have an eclipse. Now, Uh they don't tell you for how long, but it's a long time. So one or two of the suns go around the other side of the planet, and because these suns are kind, kind of oppose each other, and this planet's in the middle which how that would work, like multi, 
star solar systems, like they do work and these suns sort of like move around each other. But how there could be like a planet trapped in the middle of them doesn't make a lot of sense. But I don't know. I'm not an astronomer. <laughs> um, but then there's another larger ringed planet, which is also in the middle of these suns. <laughs> and it's going to pass through between the only visible sun and them on the planet. So creating an eclipse and basically plunging it into darkness. Three now, days of night, baby. This is going to happen so quickly. <laughs> And it's coming at just the right angle where it's not passing through the entire planet. It's just passing through part of it where it would be gone in like half an hour in reality. But that's just the, the speedy efficiency of the storytelling. Yes. Really, it's multiple days where it's just going to be nothing but nighttime and they're fucked at that point. And also, according to this movie, things that are solar powered as soon as the sun goes down are no longer. They stop working. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's reasonable. <laughs> Those, that thing was only on for so long, and it has to power an entire vehicle. I suppose. But yes, I, I understand your qualm. <laughs> the moment went uh -huh. down. Okay, it doesn't oh, work. The car stops. <laughs> Their objective is to get the power cells from the ship that crashed back to the encampment to get the ship that's there powered up so they can leave, and they have these... Jeeps, effectively, this Jeep that they're driving, that they're going to transport it on, and, and it runs out of gas while they're there. Mm -hmm. So, fuck. <laughs> it runs out of solar power. And so now they need to effectively drag it all the way back. They need to carry it back. But anyway, continue on. At some point, Riddick is alone with Fry and explains to her, I'm just a payday. That guy is a merc. He's not a cop. And... By the way, he's a drug user, and he didn't give any drugs to your dying friend. Yeah. <laughs> which, as the guy will point out, he was gonna die in, but, like, two seconds. But he was her friend, yes. and he didn't have to die in pain. True. That guy's... John's addiction is more important than another human being suffering. Yes. Whether they were gonna die or not. True. Which really pisses Fry off. Yeah, and she confronts him about it, catches him injecting the morphine into his eye. Yes, into his eye. What a place to do it. Anyway, Chazza dies, and they see that there are thousands of them. Millions of them. Yeah, they come immediately, and... and they break down those tube things that she was stuck in. They all start to crumble and fall apart as they all swirl out, because there's yeah. so many of them. Those little outdoor stalagmites. Yes. That we mentioned earlier. The uh, Where she got stuck. Termite nests. We also find out that they are blind and they will use sounds to see things. It's not exactly sound. They see, but they see out of their eyes, which are on the either end of their hammerheads. And Riddick is going to use that to his advantage later on. When he figures that out, they have a blind spot, which is right in front of their face. But when they do see, they mainly see movement more than anything. But they do use the sounds for sight. I'm sure they have some form of echolocation. You yeah, know? they said that. Mm -hmm. Riddick will do some really fun hiding in the dark, like we said. He just beautifully comes out of the blackness and then just Oh, and then disappears again. Yeah, uh-huh. It's a lot of fun. I, I love when he's just, like, extremely bad timing. Like, yeah. he has some fun one-liners. Well, this is exactly his element, too. And he's always chill 
unless he's angry. Those are his only two modes. Completely calm, cool, and collected, and badass, or terrifyingly mad. Those are the only two modes that Riddick has. True. They end up finding a blowtorch that they are using for light. But, like... That blowtorch is not going to last forever. Yeah, it lasts incredibly long. They will cycle through several different light sources here. They got flashlights. They have lighters. I don't know why it would take them so long to Mm -hmm. come up with the alcohol torches. They end up using basically Molotov cocktails as torches. The blowtorch, it's also two different types of torches. There's the one that we see and that they use for the flame and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the one that they use to cut through the wall. Oh, I thought it was the same one. It it is as far as the story is concerned. But those in reality are two different kinds of blowtorches. Oh, really? Yes. Uh That would make sense. Like one's a welding torch. And yeah, so it's. That would make sense. Yeah. Like one's acetylene and something like that. I love there's a part when. I think they're getting into the ship for the first time, and they ask, because you can see in the dark, they ask, Oh, Riddick, is I have clear? the line here. I have it. I wrote down the interaction. John's <laughs> asked them, how does it look? They're up against this escarpment embankment thing, <laughs> and he, he leans up over, and he says, Looks clear. <laughs> and John's goes to go up over this embankment, and then one of these raptor things comes out and John drops to the floor and he says, you said clear. And then Riddick says, I said, it looks clear. John says, what's it look like now? And Riddick responds, looks clear. <laughs> Such a great moment. It's so good. Love that exchange. It's really, really good because Riddick didn't do that on purpose. He really did look. And uh-huh. He really didn't see anything. But he also doesn't give a fuck if John dies. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. It is around this point that he Riddick says, you better check your cuts, guys. They now know our blood and they'll be after us. And Jack gives a very worried look at him. This is the part where fucking Paris is annoying as shit. (laughs) Okay, so the rest of this movie is they're trying to figure out a way to get back from the ship to the encampment with all these batteries now without the Jeep that they left behind. So they're all huddled together. They got like fluorescent tubing and stuff like that, trying to keep themselves alive. And they're all huddled together. For the rest of the movie, it's just them trying to make it back to the encampment. Yes, and like we said, they went out to get all those supplies, the suns went down, they couldn't use their vehicles anymore, which is how a bunch of them have died now, and they're just trying to make it back to the ship with the supplies. Each one of those is something like 77 pounds, and they needed five of them. Oh my god. But they're not carrying them one by one, they've got like a a sheet. Yeah, that they're they're dragging it They're all dragging. Yes. So Paris... Flips out because they know they're all around them. Paris loses his mind. Yeah, Paris keeps getting panicky. And you know, guys, there's one thing I can pride myself on. Now, I might freeze up. Uh If I'm in a situation of deep fear, it is very possible that I might freeze and ruin it for, ruin it just for myself. I at least can say I wouldn't ruin it for anybody else because the last thing I would ever do is panic and scream and fly away like the fucking bird and Bambi. Okay? I wouldn't do it. (laughs) Just like this dickhead starts to run away. He 
panics. He runs away. He breaks the circuit, taking his lights with him, and everyone else loses their light. Yes, he destroys the lights for them. And then he makes it so far before he... Now, this Stops. is a cool shot. It's so fucking cool. It is a cool shot. He resigns himself to the fact that he is going to die. He's alone. Nobody's around him. He says, I was supposed to die in France. Never ever saw France. He takes a swig of his alcohol. He lights his lighter and then does like, you know, a fire show thing where he blows it out in front of him and it illuminates all the area around him. I always wanted to try that. And there's just these fucking hammerhead raptor things all around him. Yes. Just for the flash of that fire. It's a and great then shot. He's dead. So cool. Yes. And it's a horror shot for sure. Oh yeah. So Paris is dead now. Yes. And I think we're down to one or two pilgrims. I think they might all be dead at this point. Or there might be one left. I don't know. At some point, Emom is like Take God into your heart. And <laughs> Riddick is like, didn't all your people die? Like, <laughs> it's really messed up, but uh -huh. it's kind of funny. He also takes this opportunity to talk to Johns about what the plan is. Now that they have no light, they're trying to get back and well, it's they're not going to survive. Well, it's at this point that Riddick tells everybody, we got to go back to the ship because Jack is bleeding. And yeah, they're like, says, what? Now that she's bleeding and everyone thinks it's Fry. And they're like, no, she's not bleeding. She's not cut. And he's like, I didn't mean her. Mm -hmm. Her. And then points to Jack. Mm -hmm. And that's where Jack tells her story about why she's dressed like a boy and all of that. I, I just thought it'd be better if people took me for a guy. I thought they might Jesus, leave me alone. Jack, why always messing with me. Yes. And so John's is like, well, let's just kill her and put her out for bait. So yeah, so they're away. having a conversation about this, Riddick and Johns, and they kind of like come to this agreement. And I think really what's happening is Riddick is just teasing this out of him, seeing what Johns is willing to do. I don't think Riddick has any intention of doing this. No, none. He just wants to see if Johns will. He doesn't even say exactly what he wants to do. He just implies something. And then Johns comes up with this plan and is like, oh, yeah, we can kill one of them or gut them, slice them open, drag them behind us as chum in the water so that they'll be tracked to the body and not to them. And this is when Riddick's like, okay, fine. I don't need you. You're now a danger to us and everybody. We can finally deal with our shit now. I hate you. You hate me. Let's deal with, it, with this now. And they get into like a little fist fight. Yeah, because it becomes, or maybe I'll just kill you. Yeah, uh-huh. They have one rule. Stay in the light. That's the only rule. The rule for what? For the fight that they're going to have. Oh, did they ha They had a rule? I missed that yeah, part. Yeah, uh -huh. They talk about it? Yeah. Oh, I'm sad I missed that. One rule. Stay in the light. Okay, so they have a rule. Stay in the light. Yeah. Okay. Well... Johns ends up dying. Yes, he just straight up kills Johns. Now, it might seem weird, all these relationships and how they're working and everything, but again, but it's a great Riddick line. is responsible for it. It's a great it. line, because he's like, I told you to ghost me, because earlier in the film, Yeah, you should just kill me that. right now. Yeah, it's like, uh -huh. I, if I were you, dude, I would kill me right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> but Nobody ever takes him up on that <laughs> offer. He brings that up a lot. He's yeah. just like, I would kill me now. And no one ever does. No but this is a this is the culmination of two games worth of 
history, which haven't happened yet. <laughs> it's just this sort of implied narrative. This world building that's happening in this movie is yes. really great. Yes. Anything that is going to build up an entire world is always exciting and yeah. it's always sad when you notice, like, holes and stuff, which yeah. there's plenty of in the sequel. And they try to fill them, But too. it's such a rich story, and there's so much that can be told here. And it's this whole saga that I wish we could get more of. I'm excited for the fourth, if we ever get a fourth. Yeah, I wonder. And it's funny how much I, like, I love Riddick, and I just never saw Riddick. I think it's because you saw it without me, and then... I was just like, I don't, I'm sure it's bad. I don't want to, eh. as a matter of fact, it made more money than the other two movies. Believe it so or not. funny. Yeah. This is when he tells Jack, do not cry for John's. Yes. Don't you dare cry for him. And this is when he tells Fry not to look up because they are eating each other, which yes. again, we have talked about make a lot of sense yeah it, it might sound at first like it makes sense because there are just so many of them they feast on each other when they're desperate at least but this is for all intents and purposes a dead planet assuming that my theory that it's only one part of the planet and the rest of the planet's full of life uh, <laughs> which i'm sure isn't real what kind of god would make a world <laughs> with one geological That'd be as ridiculous as a whole world made of nothing but ice, lava, or forest. Then it's like a perpetual motion machine. It's impossible. They cannot create enough energy to create a whole life, raise that life, and then bring it to adulthood with the population that they currently have. You would be constantly dwindling your population Mm -hmm. because you cannot create energy that doesn't already exist Mm -hmm. you need to get it from somewhere else and if you're talking about the entire population as a whole it's just consuming itself (laughs) and yes it's getting bigger every time they have birth but that takes energy energy that they get from eating one of them you know what i mean like so it it's it's a it's an impossible perpetual energy machine Mm -hmm. but that's that's what's happening. They're eating each other above them riddick is going to end up having a whole fight with one of them and it's really great. He, of course, kills it. And when he's done, he's just like... Did not know who was fucking with yes. And again, uh-huh. because Chris made me watch those stupid things, these the lines movies. were ruined. <laughs> these lines were ruined. I'm talking about the movies. Love you. <laughs> so it starts to pour. So I guess that's where the wa- the water comes from. So I guess I'm wrong. And you're probably right. There is probably life elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, the water has to come from somewhere, right? <laughs> but so Riddick is going to get, like, everything ready on the, on the plane or on the ship. And John's told Fry earlier in the film, he will leave you. He will abandon you. And... There's kind of a weird moment where it seems like Riddick was going to leave them, which doesn't seem part of his character. I get, yes, he turns around, he comes back, and of course she has her stupid line. It's the worst line for Jack in the whole film. Never had a doubt. Never had a doubt. Yeah. It's the worst line for her. He hides them in this cave with this rock covering them, and it's just Fry, Jack, and Imam. By this point, he's dragging all of the batteries just himself. It's this whole, like, epic, 
you know, I think I can, I think Super I can. Soldier. You're the best around. What's that song from Rocky Four? It's the eye of the tiger. It's no. the king of the fight. No, no. It's the thrill of the fight. <laughs> Heart's desire. That one? What's the that's that song? That's on fire. Yeah, that one. That's in uh it's a it's another survivor song. It's in Rocky Four. But anyway, it's You're like one of those moments. <laughs> and he's dragging all of those, but eventually they get to the point where they're in too much trouble. He shoves them into this cave, puts a rock in front of it, and then he disappears. And we see him go back to the ship, put all the batteries in, all the cells in, and starts turning it on. They're stuck there. While they're in that cave, there starts to be like this light, like this bluish, whitish sort of light. Oh, they're larva. Yes, this bioluminescent larva. This is the other form of these things. So they're going to use that as light. They shove them into their empty bottles because they they had completely used up all the alcohol in them and use them as lanterns, basically. And Rada takes one and she goes deeper into the cave and ends up finding a way out, I guess. While Jack and the imam are just left with this one little lantern, uh, she goes back and she confronts Riddick, who she thinks is just trying to leave without them, and she might be right. She gets so mad that they end up in a fight. There's a moment where things sort of, like, cool off when they're arguing at each other, and he asks her, would you die for them? And she says, I would try for them, which is her character change. Yes. Right? She went from, like, if I have to sacrifice people so I can live, I will, versus Riddick's, I don't give a shit about anybody. They both turn by the end of the movie. And she's, like, making the effort is worth potentially dying, basically. Uh, He says, you didn't answer me. And she says, yes, Riddick, I would. I would die for them. And then he gets off of her and he says, how interesting. Mm -hmm. You died. You did answer. Yes, I would, Riddick. I would. I would die for them. How interesting. And so they are going to come back for them. Yeah, so Riddick is going to get, like, all of them on to the ship except for himself. And he's going to end up getting hurt. So Fry's going to go back to save him. And it's really sad. Because she ends up getting killed saving him. And yeah. he has kind of an awkward line of not for me. Not for me. Not for me. Yeah, so the exchange is she. she's trying to help him up. He's completely fucked up by this point. He did that whole thing where he, uh, it's, it's this trailer moment, you know, where he's trying to get as close to their blind spot as possible to not be seen, but then another one approaches, and so he's like, he he's killed one of them before when he said, did not know who he was fucking with, and now he has to fight multiple ones, and he gets totally fucked up, but he wins, he survives, but he's like crawling on the floor at this point, and she says, as she approaches him and tries to like lift him up, I said I'd die for them, not you, come on, 
and then she gets taken as she's trying to get him up on his on his feet by one of these things. He gets like sliced, stabbed, whatever, and then carried away into the sky. And he says, not for me, not for me, as in you're not supposed to die for me. I'm worthless. You know, I don't care if I live or die. And I thought that was a bold move because I yeah. totally thought the first time I saw this, I knew she died. I don't think I remembered if she died or not, but I mean, the first time I saw this when I was totally shocked by it, uh-huh. I was totally expecting them to end up together. Yeah. So I was like, that was a bold move and I liked it. Yeah. So apparently in the original, Riddick was supposed to die and she was supposed to live. That's more boring. Yeah. Well, him when just they dying as a hero, when they realize that Riddick is the character with legs you know, that could continue on. Uh-huh. It's more interesting. They're like, no, nah, well, maybe it would be interesting if, you know, she died the hero. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, but, you know, I mean, in a way it's kind of fridging, but it doesn't motivate him at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> what were we just watching? I don't know. <laughs> what were we just watching where they described what fridging was? <laughs> oh, it's a Deadpool joke. Oh, yes, Hopefully it's in the commercial for Free Guy. Like I did. <laughs> oh, I hope they don't fridge her. What's fridging? Uh, well, it's the practice of killing off or hurting a female character in order to motivate or torture the main character, also known as Deadpool 2. Thank you for asking. Ah, we call that bridging. But the very end, when they're about to leave, Riddick does something crazy and turns everything off, and everybody's like, what's going on, Riddick? And it's because he wanted every single last one of them to get on the ship so that when he started the ship, they would all burn off and uh-huh. die. Yep. We can't leave without saying goodnight. <laughs> Good night. Get it? Good night. The movies. I the hate movies. you so much. The movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the movie. I think it's legitimately good. And really like the, I know we didn't really talk about her all that much, but I think Jack just does such a good job of just idolizing Riddick. And I think he does such a good job of liking it, but not saying he likes it. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And. Cute kid. Exactly. (laughs) There's some really cool shots. The one of him. With the alcohol is great. The one of him sitting on top of the RV is great. I guess it's not an RV. It's not an RV, but that's that's what it evokes. Yes. He's sitting on a chair with an umbrella on top of of an RV. (laughs) No, he's on top of the the ship, yeah. Her dying is very interesting and different and unique. Yeah. These killer monsters that... You know, can only be in the dark, and then an eclipse that darkens the planet for three days. And who doesn't enjoy watching Vin Diesel beat up monsters? If you don't like that, if that's not entertaining, I don't know what is. Right. Because he believes it. That is what is so great about it. It could, if it was put in the hands of someone else who didn't take it seriously, who didn't feel like those monsters were really there and that he was having an ego, like, fight with them. Uh You know, like, if they didn't feel that, it would have been shitty and stupid. And he does. You know, it's basically the premise of 30 Days of Night, (laughs) but with vampires in that one. 
It's the premise of a lot of movies, as we've discovered. Yeah. 30 Days of Night is based on a graphic novel. Who cares? It sucks. And I want to say that Even came Josh out after this. Even Josh couldn't save it, man. Even Josh couldn't save it. I don't remember it. To be entirely honest with you, I own it on Blu-ray. There's a scene where a guy dies because of a swing set. Isn't it the the vampire that gets caught in the swing set? Somebody I don't gets remember. caught in a goddamn swing set. I don't remember. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I remember seeing that in theaters with my mom. Both of us, when we walked out of the theater, were like, that wasn't very good. And then it wasn't until, like, Nate and Miranda, I watched it with them, and they pointed out to me all the reasons why I walked away with that feeling, you know? Like, back when you would just sit down and watch a movie and you didn't really, like, pay attention to all the ins and outs of everything. uh Miranda and Nate pointed out all this shit to me, and I was just like, this movie is awful. (laughs) Maybe it was just the environment you watched it in. We'll watch it for the show sometime. Anyway, what do you think Pitch Black has on Rotten Tomatoes? 69, dudes. 69, dudes. Not quite. It has a 60%. Oh, okay. Despite an interesting premise and a star-making turn from Vin Diesel, Pitch Black is too derivative and formulaic to fully recommend to sci-fi or action fans. I know what they're saying, but I disagree. I disagree. I think it took all these things and made it into its own, and I appreciated it. fun. It is a lot of fun. And Vin Diesel just makes it fun. He really does. And Jack is great. And I love Rada Mitchell. Yeah. (laughs) She's good, too. Metacritic of 49. Jesus. No cinema score. Right. So, I mean, do I even need to ask? Overrated or underrated? Underrated. What do you think it should have? What do you, What is your rating? 79. That's so funny. I was going to say 78. So, cool. We're like right there. I really, really like it. It's good bordering on great for me. It's just so much fun. I think there was a lot of potential here. Mm-hmm. Which is why they continued it on to a series. I see that. But it's sad because it feels like if they had just realized all those things they wanted to do, imagine what they could have done with this story. Yeah. But because they didn't see it for its potential, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. It's such a small story and it's just like, there's more to be done here. Yeah, it it's definitely a horror action sci-fi, right? It has a little bit of elements of all of these things. And it definitely could have been way scarier, but that's just for me. But I mean, I think it's fine that it stands on its own. But the horror in the next movie, Chronicles of Riddick, what little there is. Very little. uh, Is more like, I don't know if you're going to understand where I'm coming from here, where it's like, it's more like Warhammer 40k horror where the horror is an army of soldiers that have skulls on their belts and shit like that. And like just that's gonna annihilate your entire civilization. Yeah. But it also has more D&D influences, which we'll talk about as we actually talk about that movie. But let's get right into it, shall we? That we just finished 2000's Pitch Black, then Dark Fury happens, where 
all of them get caught. We did not watch this. No. Just trying to remember what Dark Fury is about. All of them get caught by a mercenary ship called the, the um, I was going to say Genghis Khan, the Kubla Khan, <laughs> where Toombs is, who we'll meet in this next movie. And, and Toombs, just like John's. I just realized they both have N- S's at the end of their yeah, last names. Uh-huh. Just cannot get it through their fucking thick skulls that they cannot bring this guy in. So there's a villain who's a woman on the ship and Jack ends up killing her. And Riddick's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to be responsible for turning you into a murderer. And he leaves her behind with Imam when they get to New Mecca. And that's where Chronicles of Riddick begins. Jack and Imam, as far as Riddick knows, are on New Mecca. Riddick is striking off on his own. He's met a villain mercenary named Tombs, who's still alive at the end of Dark Fury. And that's where we get into our next film. 2004's Chronicles of Riddick, written and directed by David Toohey, based on the character's Created in the first movie by Jim and Ken Wheat, starring Vin Diesel, Judy fucking Dench, <laughs> Colm Fiore, uh, Tandiwe Newton, Carl Urban, Alexa Davalos, and Linus Roach. What is Chronicles of Riddick about? Necromongers. <laughs> it's a really silly name, we know. The Necromongers are basically the Reapers from your game mass effect yeah or is that reavers no they're the reavers are from firefly (laughs) uh reapers are from mass effect and they're giant sentient ships it's basically the same thing (laughs) Uh, and the borg i mean it's pretty much they're basically the borg they're the borg but they have a religion basically (laughs) they conquer all these worlds taking their resources and converting their people into more necromongers and they're headed to the underverse and we never understand yeah it's a religion what it is where they're going no fucking idea it's a religion is all you need to know it's it's, it's basically a, the romans conquering yeah, uh-huh. the worlds basically but they're not conquering worlds they're destroying worlds but i mean yeah they don't want the world they want the world's resources and they want their people and they take all them and move on the actual so they are important. the aliens from Independence Day, would you say? I don't know if they intended to move on, right? I think they were just intending to, I mean, they were intending to take the resources, but who knows if they intended to ha- inhabit Earth or not. But aside from, from the point, we're not talking about Independence Day. If you thought Pitch Black was a vehicle for stroking Vin Diesel's ego, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> But he is a badass! So, I know, I know, I know, I know. I love Vin Diesel. Pitch Black is a great movie with an ego stroke of a character. Chronicles of Riddick is an entire movie dedicated to the fact that that character is the coolest person in all of existence. (laughs) You can watch it for free if you have a subscription to Peacock, Fubo, DirecTV, Sling, and Spectrum on Demand. It's $4 on most services, but as I said earlier, it's three eighty on Amazon. We never finished saying what it was about. <laughs> well, the Necromongers are going to come and take over New Mecca. And 
And Riddick says no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can buy the movie for twelve to fifteen dollars on most services. It is twelve dollars on AMC on demand. Should people watch the Chronicles of Riddick? Yes. Yes. But understand that yes. it does get a little bit silly in it, this one. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. It's a lot of Batman. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of Joel Schumacher Batman influence in this movie. All the architecture and, and all of that. I'm here for it. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of stuff that's just really badass <laughs> in a way that's like totally po-faced. <laughs> And you could ridicule if you wanted. Absolutely you could. We are not going to walk away from this saying that it is a masterpiece of cinema. No. It is far from it. But it so is a whole fun. hell of a lot of fun. It, this is just such a fun series. And I know this one doesn't this one doesn't really have much of fear. But from what I remember, Riddick does. I don't. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, the marketing pushes. Yeah, I think Riddick Riddick goes down the hallway of horror more. Yeah, a little bit further, closer to what Pitch Black was. Mm -hmm. But again, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's just fun. And there's some cool gothic shit. With the idea of these terrifying people that want to just murder your planet. There's (laughs) another planet that wants to kill you. (laughs) That's the exact opposite of the Pitch Black planet. (laughs) Yeah. The exact opposite. Now, instead of being killed by the darkness, you're killed by the light. Oh, that's crematoria. Yeah. That's I'm, a prison planet. I, I don't care. There's a planet in this movie that's the exact opposite of the pitch black planet. But anyway. Just like Hoth and Tatooine. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about it when we talked about pitch I'm, black. I'm pointing it out again. <laughs> it's another planet with just one feature. Wouldn't that be as ridiculous as a whole world made of nothing but ice, lava, or fire? Yeah, I mean, if you didn't like Pitch Black, if you thought that the character of Riddick was lame in Pitch Black, I understand. Do not watch this movie. Oh, you will hate it. You will hate it. It is that to 11. Yeah. But it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2004's The Chronicles of Riddick. I knew they'd come for me. Took them five years, but I knew. Now I go back to a world I hate. Settle a new score. Riddick. An unholy crusade has risen. Final protocol. Execute on my order. It's time to end this world. To destroy the worlds of man. Necromongers then kill every last human life. But the resistance will begin. I know a man. We must rely on him. Things are even worse than you say. With another kind of evil. When it happens, it'll happen fast. Who the hell are you? On June 11th. Where does he come from? Who are his people? The future. Get Riddick as a fighting chance. I heard you came looking for me. Defiant to the end. How do I get eyes like that? You gotta kill a few people. The Chronicles of Riddick. Riddick PG-13 starts June 11th. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How do the Chronicles of Riddick begin? With some very Joel Schumacher Batman-looking statues. Yes, just giant stone statues of muscular men. Yeah, immediately. (laughs) These faces, these chiseled faces. I was like, are we in Gotham? What's happening? The second best Gotham of all time, by the way. (laughs) What is the first? First best Gotham is Batman the Animated Series. 
I see. Which has this whole sort of like gothic art deco thing going for it. And then you have just that on cocaine version that is the Joel Schumacher (laughs) Gotham. And it's incredible. When they first opened up the sort of like, I, I guess it's not just Gotham. It's sort of the DC part of Six Flags. <laughs> it was stylized very much like the Joel Schumacher Gotham, you know, and they had those statues and the gears and the giant naked men pulling levers, yes. you know, everywhere. And I loved it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Well, then, did you love this movie, Chris? Because oh, yeah. uh-huh. this movie, the people who made it really like Batman. There's a lot of Dutch angles. Oh, yeah, there are. There's a lot of flashing lights. Uh-huh. Yeah, at one point, it's like, I hope you don't have photosensitive seizures because, geez. Yes, this movie has a lot of flashing lights going uh-huh. on in it. So we get some narration from Dame Judy Dench. Oh, like right away, you're like, Judy Dench? <laughs> Can I tell you a little bit of, of a thing about this? Go for it. So at this point, Vin Diesel is highly invested in Riddick as a character and the franchise as a whole. And his one thing about this movie is, I must have Judy Dench. Like, that's his thing. Nothing will work if we don't have Judy Dench. Which, it's funny, because this character is so... Unimportant. Unimportant. You could totally ride around having this character. Yeah, if you took her out completely, it wouldn't change anything. So, he sort of, like, courted her. And would, like, reach out to her personally and be like, I really, really want you in this movie. When she agreed to sign on, he filled her dressing room with bouquets of flowers. Like, he was, like, huge on – and apparently she was, like, the number one, like, before we cast anyone else, we need to try to get Judy Dench. Why? I don't – he just loves her. And that's cool. What did – wait, okay, okay. I know Judy Dench is super famous. What? Dame Judy Dench. What do we know her from? <laughs> Interestingly, probably most popular at the time was she was already in GoldenEye as M. Oh, she was? Yeah. I mean, that GoldenEye was like 94 or 5 or something like that. Oh. Oh. Or maybe even 93. I don't know. I thought she was with – what's his name? She was. That's the weird thing is people. everyone loved Judy Dench so much – as M, that when they kind of soft rebooted it with Daniel Craig, she was still M. Are you serious? Yes. So like I had she no made idea. the generational jump. She was all of the Pierce Brosnan movies. And then when they're like, hey, let's retell the story of how he became 007, she's there still. So it's like this weird sort of like she bookends the timeline of James Bond, except I mean, she dies. <laughs> so yeah, What's she's not in the her? most recent one, right? Yeah, uh-huh. he blows up the building she was in. Wait, was she really alive after all of that? I'm trying to remember Skyfall. I've seen it once. <laughs> Sorry for Skyfall spoilers. <laughs> I know that MI6. No, that's Mission. Im- that's, no, yeah, that's Mission Impossible. No, I know, I know the the. Impossible, impossible mission force. IMF is Mission Impossible. So yes, MI6 blows up in that movie. But I also remember she's like there at the end at the Skyfall Manor. So like maybe she really survived. Doesn't matter. <laughs> 
she's really big, obviously, on that. She's a stage actress. Before this, she was famously in Shakespeare in Love, playing uh, oh, the, queen. the Queen. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Queen playing she did. Yeah. But yes, I mean, she's been making movies since the 60s. So a really so big presence in, in British stage television and and vin diesel the guy from fast and the furious loved her yes Uh uh-huh i mean he wasn't really the guy from fast and the furious at this point what well because he was he was in the first movie and then famously not in the second movie he's not in the sequel no he's not in too fast he's not in too fast too furious who's in that paul walker and ludicrous Oh. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then the third movie didn't have any of them in it except he makes an appearance in Tokyo and talks to the main character from that movie like for one scene to like legitimize it as part of the franchise, I guess. And then he came back for 4 and that's when it started getting really big again. So, I don't know if you could really call him the Fast and Furious guy. Mm. Uh, at least at at this point. Triple X. But he really 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 won. Yes. You know, he might be just as readily identifiable as the Triple X guy, which is another ego stroke of a franchise. Let's just, I mean, come on. Apparently, in her autobiography, and furthermore, Judy Dench claimed to never really have understood what was going on in the movie, but she enjoyed the experience of making the movie, and she thought the sets were great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and in order to explain to her, like, sort of what her character was. Yeah. Because she's an elemental. Uh-huh. She basically turns into the wind and can go she invisible. Glides. She glides. She can't fly. They don't fly. They but glide. they can glide really well. <laughs> Jesus. It's uh, so stupid. Vin Diesel described to her the concept of elementals in D&D and claims to have played D&D with her on set at least once. Awesome. Yes, so... That's a dream come true Apparently, you have, in some combination, Vin Diesel, Carl Urban, Judy Dench, and Tondiwe Newton all playing D&D together. In some combination. I want to play D&D with Tondiwe. Right? (laughs) I love that she's in this movie. (laughs) For no fucking reason, but I fucking love that she's there. Looking fucking incredible. Yes, looking awesome. The, The... Costumes. The costumes are so good. I was very sad to learn these were not the same people who made the costumes for the Joel Schumacher Batman. Like, <laughs> the costumes, I mean, they're better than those. Well, they didn't have nipples. Right. But, like, <laughs> the guys' costumes are so ridiculous. Yeah. The armor they wear is uh-huh. silly. And but the women's dresses are phenomenal. Apparently. And I don't think this is the case Every time they put it on, I think that would be absolutely ridiculous. But at least the first time they assembled the Lord Marshal's outfit, it took 12 hours to put all the pieces together properly. Like, that's how complex we're talking about. If you didn't see the movie, this is what we're talking about when we say the outfits are incredible. I saw some claim that Judy Dench's dress was made from crushed Swarovski crystals. It's why it glitters like that. It does. Yeah, it does uh-huh. glitter. But you can do that with CG. So <laughs> well, pay. in 2004, uh, some of the CG in this movie is not great. <laughs> but anyway, so Judy Dench narrates the beginning of this movie. She explains that necromongers 
Uh-huh. It's such a stupid name. Okay, here's what you need to know about the Necromongers. <laughs> They're basically the Borg. They go around and they assimilate every culture that they come across into their Necromonger army. And then they destroy their planet. Yeah, they destroy the planet, steal all of its resources. They torture you to sort of control your mind a little bit. The way they describe it is it teaches you that pain can replace pain or something like that. I let them take away my pain. They learn how one pain can lessen another. But after a while, the pain goes away just as they promise. Fuck the pain away. Fuck the pain away. Fuck the pain away. So they basically fuck with your head. Fuck the pain away. Via torture to where you willingly follow them and their religion. Yes. This is a religious quest that they're on to get to the underverse, which is a, a place, maybe, a state of being, probably. It's basically the necromonger heaven where the Lord Marshal claims to have been before and promises this sort of like nirvana for all of the necromongers if they finally reach their destination. But in order to get there, they need to continue to conquer the universe. And so that is what's going on with the necromongers. The only other thing you need to know is that you keep what you kill. You might be thinking that's a little bit of a flimsy It is. Story. It's very It's flimsy. very flimsy. There are a lot of holes here. There are a lot of inconsistencies and questions that have no answers. But you know what? Most religions do. So yeah. <laughs> That's the way it is. Yeah, is it a physical place? Is it under something? <laughs> what does it mean to be like under our universe and it's now the under What does that mean? Crusading across the stars toward a place called Underverse. Their promised land. A constellation of dark new worlds. Leading them, the Lord Marshal. He alone has made a pilgrimage to the gates of the Underverse and returned a different being. Stronger, stranger, half alive and half something else. Because there is another verse. A verse where life is welcomed and cherished. A ravishing, ever new place called Underverse. But the road to that verse crosses over the threshold. Threshold! Take us to the threshold! What you call death. So it is this verse that must be cleansed of life so that Underverse can populate and prosper. When you realize that the threshold to the Underverse will be crossed, only by those who have embraced the Necromunga faith. For those of you who will right now drop to your knees and ask to be purified. He's not a man. He's the holy half-dead who has seen the Underverse. He makes it sound perfect. Place where anyone could start off. But it's just supposed to evoke this sort of like, you know, you hear the term necro, and so you think death, but also you think necropolis, which are these, like, beautiful death-adjacent structures and locations. Like, that's the, the sort of imagery it's supposed to evoke in your head when you think of the necromongers. Imposing, beautiful, death-related necromongers. I guess that makes sense. 
And so she explains that ordinarily you'd think that you would need good to fight against evil, but in times like these, you need evil versus evil, which is why they seek out Riddick. Riddick the Furion. The, my, my arm is not long enough for the jerk-off motion that is in my soul. <laughs> yes, it desperately wants to be an epic. Yes. It is not. It, mm, yeah. There is, they shot their shot, though. I mean, come there on. There is not nearly <laughs> enough story here. Uh-huh. And... And they try to make one so much by introducing the concept of Furians. He's part of a race of people that are prophesied to be the only threat to the Necromonger Scourge. Yes. Like, it's, and apparently this prophecy is only 30 years old, so it's like There's, Riddick's age. It's <laughs> like somebody sat down and was like, I'm going to write an epic. And they they plotted out, like they, they uh, rough drafted a bunch of ideas. And then they were like, I'm done. Well, okay. <laughs> That's what happened. The here. way that Riddick describes it, I'm going to go back to D&D. We've talked about Vin Diesel before being a big D&D fan. He has D&D tattoos. He's really fucking into D&D, right? He's a big nerd for D&D and always has been. He's also been a break dancer. We've talked about that before, too. Why were we talking about Vin Diesel? What's the Vin Diesel movie we've done on this show? I don't show? remember. We've definitely talked but about it. But you're right, because we watched a video of him break of dancing. Him yes. break dancing, uh-huh. and oh my lord. <laughs> but the way he sort of talks about it is they're basically creating their own sort of D&D universe. A bunch of, like, status quo descriptions of races and motivations and vague histories that you can then build stories within. And that's kind of what they were going for. And so it is kind of that. I can 100% see them creating a tabletop role-playing game universe. Oh, 100%. In the Riddickverse with all of these characters and races and all these things. Absolutely. It's very clear that that's what they're doing here. But- But yeah, the story we get in this movie is a just more flimsy sort of lore and... It's what you read on the back of the box. Yeah, uh-huh. It's not all the details that you get once you're inside. None of the body paragraphs are present here. We have the introduction and the conclusion. Yeah. And I look at my student and I'm just like, where's the details? Where's the rest? And they were like, I got tired. <laughs> and also in order to make it epic and he's the prophesied hero by birth you know like that whole thing they also need to retcon a lot of stuff you know not only do they change what jack is and change jack to this sexy murderous kira but they also like reframe well we'll get there some of riddick's history that we learned in pitch black what very little history of riddick we learned in pitch black they reframe that in Chronicles of Riddick. From a certain point of view. Yes, exactly. Oh, I didn't lie to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So we know that he's this prophecy hero that's come to defeat the Necromonger Scourge. So we meet up with Riddick after hearing all of this exposition, which really we didn't get all of that. Chris and I just gave you a whole bunch of information (laughs) that you don't get at the beginning of the film. But... We catch up with Riddick. Riddick is now with where it has long dreads and a huge beard uh-huh. and living on this like a planet made of ice. <laughs> yeah. It also has these really cool folds on the land that he's hopping from one place to the next, which is apparently a real 
geographical feature that you can find. But not a whole planet just of that. Yes. <laughs> just Kelsey's ready to jump on that. <laughs> this is Planet Six. Is that the name of it? Yes. There might have been more to it, but all I wrote, all I wrote was Planet Six. Uh-huh. So we meet Tombs. Yes, Tombs, who was introduced in Dark Fury, the animated interquel between Pitch Black and- Did that come Pitch out before and, this movie did? I think it came out on the DVD. The special edition DVD has Dark Fury on it. I see. And he is desperately flying after Riddick because the idea is that Riddick is always going to get you like this huge amount of money. But then the thing is, is that like when he brings him to the place, he's not offered as much as he was. Expecting. Well, there's a there's a conflict, right? There's the conflict of Riddick is going to cause problems. But basically, the way this prison structure works is prisons are run privately. Oh, man, it's some bleak future alternate universe version where there are privately run prisons that make money. <laughs> so fucked. Anyway, the idea is that these prisons charge the places, the planets in the universe that have bounties on a particular person. These locations pay them to house these prisoners. And so the more places, the more bounties that there are on a particular person, the more money you collect. And there are a lot of places that have bounties on Riddick. So Toombs assumes he can get a lot of money. The problem is when he finally does drop him off at a prison planet, they're like, he's a lot of trouble and he's going to cost us a lot of money too. So this is all you're going to get from us. Mm. So that's what's going on there. But yes, he's trying to track down Riddick because he's a big payday for his entire crew. And Riddick, in the process of this, single-handedly kills his, crew. kills his entire crew. And he tells Tombs, you made three mistakes. Do you remember what the mistakes are? You took the job. Uh-huh. First, you took the job. You weren't prepared because you came, you, light. You came with a four-man crew, yeah, you which came is insulting. Light. Yeah, fucking insulting. Second, you came light. A four-man crew for me is fucking insulting. I don't know what the third one was. But the worst mistake you made. <laughs> Empty gun rack. Empty gun rack. Because Toombs looks over to his gun rack uh. and there's nothing there. And so that's what allows him to attack Tombs, throw him out of his own ship, and then fly away. Yes. He doesn't kill him, though. No. I don't think Riddick is interested in killing people unless he has to. Yeah. Seems like. I mean, as we learned from his sort of backstory, his running man backstory, he's really a good guy killer. That's right. <laughs> he's the bad guy with the heart of gold. Exactly. So he's not a bad guy is what you're telling me? Yes. <laughs> But we find out that Helion Prime is looking for him. Yeah, they're the ones that sent tombs, I guess, right? That's where the big bounty is, and he needs the bounty taken off of his head. And he's mad because there's only one person who knew where he was. The Imam. Yes. So he knows Imam told them where he was. But for some reason, he waited five years. So he's curious as to why... They were after. So him. he goes back. Helion Prime is the planet where he left Jack and Imam. He finds out from Imam that Jack's gone. Jack hated him for leaving her behind and struck out on her own. But in the meantime, the Imam has a family now. He has a wife and a kid. Ziza, my name is Ziza. Did uh -huh. you really kill the monsters? 
Are you going to kill the monsters again? Are you going to stop the new monsters now? Is just such a hammy line. Yeah. Are you going to stop the new monsters now? Yeah, the new monsters being the threat of the Necromonger invasion. The government on Helion Prime still wants him, so when they find out there might be a fugitive hiding at the Imam's place, uh, they get again, ransacked. The prophecy is that there will be a Furion that will take down the main Necromonger. Right, but they don't know anything about that the government just wants to get the fugitive but they interrupt judy dench showing up and telling him oh but he's so cool he knows that she's there and he holds a, a knife to her throat that's yeah. how badass he is even though she's gliding around uh -huh. and he can't see her and and he's like take the bounty off my head and she was like well i put the bounty on your head because i needed to get you here mm -hmm. and that's what he learns and she does take the bounty off his head but it's unimportant there are so many bounties on riddick's head that it really doesn't matter that much this is just the newest biggest one then the government comes in and then he smashes them up a bunch shortly after this is when the necromongers start to invade yes yes so they are invading and riddick is able to save imam and his family yeah hide them in the alleys or sewers or something like that and we get to meet our main necromongers the lord marshal is played by colm fiore or fiore or fior i not furian no no Kelsey, you probably know him as Harrison in Chicago. Oh, the bad cop. I mean, he's not a bad cop. He's just a cop. But <laughs> Yeah, the opposition, the The, the one that wants to kill the murderesses. Yeah. But you know what? If you'd have been there, you'd have felt the same. He's also, you know how Loki is referred to as Loki Laufison? Yes. He's King Laufey of the Frost Giants. He's Loki's dad. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's interesting. We also meet... Another uh, guy from the Thor universe. Carl yes. Urban, yeah. Did you is, not just say another guy from... Was he not in Thor? Carl Urban was, yeah. He's Loki's dad, yeah. Loki's no, dad. No, Colm Fiore is, is, yeah, Loki's dad, but... And then we have another Carl guy Urban. from the Thor universe. Yes. Wait, Carl Urban? That's his name? Isn't he a singer? No, that's Keith Urban. Oh. This guy who always plays an idiot or a dipshit. Not all the time. <laughs> you know, he's... he's Carl Urban is, I think, a very underappreciated actor. He is in so much shit. I mean, he's Aomer in the Lord of the Ring franchise the, of the Riders right. of Rohan. Riders of Rohan, yeah. Uh, that's where he plays a good guy. He's the main character that fights against the Rock in the doom movie from 2005 sure yeah the rock who you thought was going to be a hero in the movie is actually a villain Ooh. and he fights him it's his view that goes into first i mentioned before the first person view really fucking sucks in movies when you're trying to use it in like a first person shooter sort of way he's the first person that you are in that moment in Doom. He's also Bones in Star Trek. He's in fucking tons of shit. Oh, but he's Bones. Yes. Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a whatever. Yes. He's also Scourge in Thor Ragnarok, the guy who has a really interesting arc in that movie. Kind of a dipshit. Yes. <laughs> this is all of my stuff. <laughs> what I love, and this is kind of makes me really appreciate Carl Urban, is he's also Judge Dredd from the fantastic 
movie dread like really really good same plot line as the raid where it's just an apartment building that we need to invade and there's all these gangs in there but only in the dread universe and it's <laughs> very good what i really appreciate about it though is he literally never shows his face in the entire movie there's no moment where like well we need to show the star's face nope he never takes the helmet off to where you can see his eyes ever and that's like bold <laughs> i think most you know stars or even the production companies would be like we need to show the star's face nope didn't happen so i i respect that quite a bit do you hate that about deadpool no, I mean, you see his face in the comics from time to time, but in the Dread comics, would you know, Judge Dread is based on a comic series. That's another thing where they go out of their way, like, not to show you his face. Ever? So I'm sure at some point they have. But, I mean, you see Deadpool's face a lot in the comics. Mm. But yes, he's been in a lot of things, and he's really great, and I really like him, and he has one of his best haircuts ever. What about the Mandalorian? Yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer that, I mean, even in The Mandalorian, they couldn't get away with not showing That's what I'm face. asking. Yeah. Did that bother you? A little bit. You know, I kind of liked the moment that we got in season one where he's all beat up and it's just a robot that sees him. Mm -hmm. But I kind of wish that we didn't, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. But anyway, really cool haircut. He's got it's really lame. It's shaved clean on the sides. He's got a little bit of a flat top thing going on and then a mullet going it's all the bad. way down the back that comes to a point. Yeah. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. He plays Vako. Tondiwe Newton is Dame Vako. He's the only one who's married for apparently, some reason. Apparently. And Linus Roach plays the Purifier. Who is like... Who's secretly a Furian. He is a secret Furian, yes. And the main guy is secretly an elemental. Now, what I don't understand about that is if he's the leader... Yeah, I don't know if he comes from the elementals. He just has this sort of elemental-like power. He has the, their ability to glide. But he sort of like moves very fast. It's not so much the gliding thing. So I don't know how closely related they are. And they never explicitly say that he is. But... All necromongers come from another race. But not all of them can have. Unless you mean that just some guy was just like, I'm just going to start my own No, I think that's exactly what happens, oh. yes. They're sort of an artificial race of villains across the galaxy. Hmm. But Linus Roach, you've seen him before. He plays Batman's dad in the Nolan trilogy. Yes, he does. Uh-huh. Uh, He's oh, going to he have a in, tears in the rain moment. He, he is. And very, like, explicitly <laughs> a Rutger Hauer tears in the rain moment. <laughs> he was in Mandy. He's the bad guy in Mandy. Yes, he is so the bad guy in Mandy. So we've seen him on this show before. But he's sort of like the voice of the Lord Marshal, the one who handles everything. He's the one who comes out and tells you that you're a child of Thanos. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Exactly, yes. He's also uh, the mouth of Sauron, you know, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. He leads the torture slash assimilation efforts as well, mm -hmm. which is going to be important for Riddick getting away a little bit later. However, she does say that the Furians were the one race that would not bow. And so they were completely wiped out. So what's with the purifier story? Yeah, we find out that he was at least one assimilated Furian. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's a common thing for Furians to try to choke their babies with their umbilical cords. Because that's part of Riddick's story, 
is that he was a baby who was left for dead with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck or something like that. I don't know if it's like a 300 sort of like, you know, throw your babies to the wolves and whoever comes back is, you know, a great warrior potential or whatever. We'll have to look it up. That's not really what happened in 300. They disposed of all their defective babies in in 300. But that sort of feeling that they're really callous and careless about their children. And that builds them into great warriors, I guess. (laughs) But somehow Riddick was already off the planet or escapes as a child and just does not remember any of this. They're basically Klingons. Yeah, you know that type of archetype, Mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, there's this moment in a palace on Helion Prime, which is where New Mecca is, apparently, where the purifier goes on to tell them what's going to happen to them. And fucking Riddick just shows up at this place, and they end up, after he kills the Lord Marshal's greatest warrior. But not until after. How does the Lord Marshal convince these people to kneel? What does he do? He literally takes the soul out of another person. That's a superpower he has. He can steal souls. Take your soul out of you. What it means to have a soul in this universe, who knows? Confusing. But basically he steals the life out of you in the form of like an ethereal version of yourself. And when these two things are separated, you die. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to almost happen at one point to Riddick. But Riddick is, his soul is strong. Yeah. So that's how he's getting all these people to kneel. And some people are like, it doesn't matter. We have, we are a very diverse people here. We feel very strongly about all our many religions that we have here. You're not going to get us to convert. And when they try to attack him, Riddick comes to his defense. And that's when this enforcer dude tries to kill Riddick and Riddick kills him easily and the Lord Marshal comes up to Riddick and says you keep what you kill and gives him that guy's knife yeah and it's like you want to try to kill me and there's a moment where they clash but nothing happens because he's able to glide around Uh uh-huh but it's so dumb because he gets he has the drop on yes. him on Riddick right now he yes. could just kill Riddick but instead he chooses to Convert him. Well, and Riddick didn't need to expose himself. Yeah. And he does. It's this weird sort of thing where, like, why are why is anybody yeah, behaving Yeah, it's like a power struggle that neither of these people would do. They just wanted badass moments, which, yes. again, is that sort of, like, bad D&D storytelling. Yes, because the Riddick that we met in the first movie would have stayed in the shadows and waited for his moment. Uh-huh. And you know what? If one person had to die in order for him to have a better chance to defeat these villains, then he would have let them die. Mm-hmm. You know? So it it's not very... They just needed these moments and they didn't care how they got to them. Yeah. And again, this guy has the prophecy that... A Furian's going to kill him, so they killed all the Furians, but then this one, who just killed your biggest threat, you're like, Uh I'm just going to convert this one. So they grab him. They grab him, and apparently this is all part of Riddick's plan, so he's not worried, which doesn't make any sense, because Riddick does not orchestrate his own escape here. So what he was planning to do, I don't know. They, like, magnetize him to the floor using a machine that the purifier turns on. Linus Roach. And then there are these sort of like oracles that come out. These sort of like sexy women kept in containers. Had 300 under come sheets. out Because it reminded me a lot of that 300 scene. No, 300 was after this. But the comic book. The comic book had exists. already come yeah. out. Yeah. So, but it felt a lot like that. Yes, where you have this young, sexy, you know, sort of in sheets. Yes. It felt like that moment in Hellraiser 2. 
where all yeah. those women come out, yeah. you know, it, like that. But they're in these like weird sort of like HR Geiger pods and they're looking into his mind and they discover that he's a Furian and they flip out. Kill him. Kill the Furian. Kill the Riddick. Yes, kill the Riddick. They even call him the Riddick. And as all these soldiers are going to come in to shoot him, we see the purifier turn the magnet off. Just to sort of see what happens, I guess. Is that what happens? Yes. He turns it off, which Did allows Riddick- Did anybody see him do it? No. It allows Riddick to hop on one of those pods as the oracles are trying to get out of there. Okay. He hops on one of the pods and rides it I out. I didn't notice that. And he ends up as all- He's causing chaos. One of these statues falls down. They're also ships. It's a weird sort of construct. But as he's escaping, Tombs catches him. Yes. Tombs and his new gang. Yes. And he's very happy to learn that they're going to take him to Crematoria because Crematoria is where Jack is being held. Yes, which is what Imam, I think, told him. Now, there is a lot of fun taunting here from Riddick on tombs. Yeah, they seem jittery <laughs> or whatever Your it is. Your new crew like. seems a bit skittish, yeah, tombs. Yeah, skittish. And then throughout it, he constantly is just like skittish tombs, very skittish, because uh -huh. they constantly screw up and do stupid shit. Well, and they're asking questions, and they're like, what do you mean this, or you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Hey, how does he know where we're going and we don't? Dope it out. I hate this run. Just do it. I don't know about this new crew of yours. They seem a bit skittish. Probably shouldn't tell them what happened to the last crew. Tombs tells us about crematoria. All right, I make 700 degrees on the day side, 300 below on the night side. Let's not get caught in the sun. If I owned this place in hell, I'd rent this place out and live in hell. Which is a quote from an American general after the Civil War talking about Texas. If I owned hell in Texas. I'd rent out Texas and live in hell. I understand that sentiment. <laughs> I've been to Texas. I'm sure Texas is lovely. It's not for us. No, it's not for the, us. The type of heat you get there is not the type of heat that Kelsey does well in. No. And there are, the, your cockroaches fly. <laughs> and she can't deal with that. Nope. No. Our cockroaches do not fly. No. <laughs> they do not. So they put him on this like sled thing where they're going to travel underground to get to the actual prison on this planet, Crematoria. The reason they're underground is because this is the opposite planet to Pitch Black, where instead of the night being dangerous, the daytime is dangerous. And after the sun touches, the surface heats up so much that a wave of fire comes after it. So it's not immediate. The sunlight is very, very hot, but it starts to burn up the atmosphere shortly after the sunlight shows up. So you'll get a lot of them exposing themselves to the sun and it being very hot. But when you get the full exposure, fireballs and all of that, it's 700 degrees. It turns everything to ash. That's why it's called crematoria. So what is it before that? How does it go from... They're able to walk around in it and just be really hot to 700 degrees. Well, not really hot. He has to he has to douse himself in water and then it's coming off his steam. We're not talking really hot. It's still like 200 degrees or something like that in the immediate border of shade to sun. And then you see it actually. You see this the, you see the light hit a surface and then the fire wave comes after it. So there is this sort of like extremely hot but not yet on fire <laughs> sort of 
border, which is going to be very, very important. Yes. A lot of this doesn't make sense. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just don't worry about it. We're not going to waste your time explaining how it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but they need to travel under the surface. And as they're doing so, Riddick counts these whooshes that he hears, and he starts to time them. And then he thrusts his pelvis up, because there's a dude sitting on his stomach. He thrusts his pelvis up to knock a guy's head off. The good dude who's sitting on him, because just like in a subway, there are these lights that hang from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. um, and he's also using that to gauge how far they travel. They travel, I think he says, like 28 kilometers or something like that. He's just trying to orchestrate his escape. Mm -hmm. Like we said before, he wants to be there. Yes. he wants to get to Jack. This is all a plan. Yeah. The Necromonger stuff is sort of a side issue at this point for him. <laughs> He's more more focused on finding out what happened to Jack and saving her. So when they get there, they're sending him down into the pit because that's what this prison is. It's just a big pit. And they're offering him 700,000, which Toombs is, says is not enough. And Riddick keeps telling him, Take the money, Toombs. I'd take the money, Toombs. <laughs> I'd take the money, Toombs. Because nobody ever listens to Riddick. Riddick always gives them the perfect advice. Mm -hmm. Ghost me now. Take the money and run. And yeah. nobody ever <laughs> listens to him. Which is really important because had Tombs just taken the money and left, they he would have been off have the planet. Way out. Yep. Instead, they're like, listen, I might be able to get you more. We're going to have to run some calculations and some formulas. It might take a day or two. So stick around. You'll be our guest. And... Riddick's going to be orchestrating an escape coming up here. So it's not a place where you necessarily want to be. To the point where when they do finally come back like the next day and offer him a little bit more, he's like, yes, I'll take it. 75,000 more. Yeah. It's like, sure, fine, whatever. I'll just take it. But anyway, Riddick is lowered down on a chain into this pit for safekeeping. The warden keeps talking about how Ivan or Igor or whatever this Russian dude there, how he has a bad feeling about it. He always got to trust his instincts. He keeps referring to that. He's saying, I shouldn't take him. So if I'm taking him, I'm not giving you more money. <laughs> you know, that's the thought. But as he's as he's being lowered down, everyone's watching him and everything. And then there starts to be an argument over the money. And in this time, Riddick is using it to climb up this chain. And he knows he's going to be lowered down into this place and all these people might kill him or whatever. So he starts to climb up and then he wraps the chain around his body as he climbs. So he needs to do these thrusts with his arms and roll himself up and grab it again. And then does is that actually doing continually. That? I seriously doubt it. <laughs> Because, you know, Cirque du Soleil people can do that. Yeah. And then he lets himself go. So he's rolling out of this chain now. And he comes down with such force that it snaps his handcuffs. That's what he was going for. He didn't want to be cuffed down there. He wasn't looking to climb his way out, which might be your first impression. Mm -hmm. But now he has to face all of these fucking criminals. He comes across Jack. And then Jack is pissed off, basically because she tried... Well, first of all, he left her. When she tried to go off on her own and be badass, find out more about Riddick, become more like Riddick, she ends up getting captured, sold as a slave, and also finds out that there's no fucking such thing as a shine job. What else did you lie about? You know, not even for 20 cools. Which... You said that is what he does in the game, right? So I distinctly remember he goes to this dude 
called Pope Joe in Butcher Bay for the Shine Jaw. And he does a thing to your eyes or whatever that unlocks this ability to see in the dark. And you're like, oh, okay, so it really is a Shine Job, just like they talked about in Pitch Black. But apparently, what I don't remember from the game is that all that's happening is he's unlocking his innate ability. The Shine, as they call it, this ability to see in the dark, is an innate trait that's unlocked in what are called Alpha Furians, which is why when we find out later that the Purifier is a Furian, and we go, wait, why doesn't he have shiny eyes? Well, it's because it's not a thing that you're necessarily born with. It's when the trait of being an Alpha Furian comes out in you, that's when you get the shiny eyes. And that's what's happening in that moment, is he's just untapping that part of your brain that innately has that ability. So that's what happens in Escape from Butcher Bay. I don't think that's at all what they meant in the first movie. No. Well, that's I what she said. I think in the first movie that, is ex- that he meant exactly what he said. When I said they retcon, this is what I'm talking about. But they address the fact that it's retcon. She calls him a liar for saying that. I don't think he knows what the fuck she's talking about, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Because he went to a dude named Pope Joe, gave him 20 <laughs> cartons of cools or whatever, or 20 cools, and all of a sudden, he ha- after a surgery, he has this ability. He thinks he got a shine job. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know he's fucking Furion, mm-hmm. or what that even is, until Judy Dench tells him. <laughs> you know, so... I think he wasn't lying. He no, was telling the story he as he understood. He says that in Pitch Black. Oh, well, I, mean, I don't know then. Right? Maybe he doesn't know what an Alpha Furion is. Well, yeah, he doesn't know, like, anything about it. Does he know he's a Furion? I don't remember. Well, now I can't remember if he knows he's a Furion in the first one or not. That's fine. doesn't matter. They're doing a lot of retconning anyway. So what he knew beforehand doesn't really, really matter. But she's pissed at him. And from her perspective, good reason. But yes, now we have Kira. I'm not Jack anymore. I'm Kira. I'm not trying to be you. I'm trying to be me. Mm-hmm. Played by Alexa Davalos. Jack's dead. She was weak. She couldn't cut it. Uh, and she is really impressive, too. There's also this other dude who's sort of like, what kind of prisoner are you going to be? You know, you're going to be a dickhead or you're going to be cool. Like, that's basically what he asks him. <laughs> and Vin Diesel kind of saves him later. Yeah, because a big group of prisoners are going to try to escape. So not before they encounter Riddick and all he's doing is holding a cup. They're like, what are you going to do? Kill me with a soup cup? And he's like, teacup. What? I'm going to kill you with a teacup. Mm-hmm. And he sets the teacup down and he fights all the guys. And then he smashes the teacup like he scra- he scrapes it on the rock and then he uses that to plunge into his chest yes. and kill this guy and Kira's like killing people with teacups. <laughs> who's the better killer? Yeah. This thing they talk about. That's oh yeah, I'm not interested in playing the who's the better killer game Riddick tells her. Then the soldiers come down with these weird sort of alien dog things and I wrote down why would you kill your prisoners with these monster cats? When that's how you make your money is by having the prisoners. Later on, we hear a line when one of these soldiers wants to kill Riddick outright, says something to the effect of, you know the rule, they aren't dead if they're on the books. So they're just going to lie and say that he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's why they don't care if any of these people die, because nobody's going to come and check on them anyway. Right. It's basically, they want all the prisoners to go back in their cells, so they stop the fighting. There's there's no, I don't know, it's going to be food time now or something, whatever. Just so we can have this badass moment where Riddick encounters a cat, and then when that 
prison gang leader guy comes by later, he can see, oh, Riddick has befriended him. The cat is purring and getting uh-huh. pets from Riddick. Riddick yeah. And Riddick says it's an animal thing, which he said in the first movie, it's the animal side of your brain that stays awake in cryosleep. Yeah, uh-huh. Get it? Because he's badass and loved by animals. <laughs> I cannot stress enough that I'm mocking this because it is ridiculous, but it's still so cool. <laughs> it is very cool. Yes. It is very, very cool. Gets a lot of passes. Kind of like, I don't know. I, I guess John Wick, kind of. Yeah, in a John Wick sort of way. Sure. But that John Wick is even cooler. I wasn't a big fan of how much leeway they were asking you for in John Wick 2. 2 sucks. John Wick 1, incredible. I feel like I feel like Chronicles of Riddick is somewhere between John Wick 1 and John Wick 2. Yes, sure. That's <laughs> an apt description. So they're going to escape after the big fight or whatever. I don't know why the jailers want to escape. So the jailers find out that Tombs brought them with him. Oh, right, there the are, Necromongers. There are whispers yes. along the galaxy about them who are coming and conquering worlds, and they don't know that they're talking about Necromongers. And what the Jailers find out is that Tombs has led them straight to their planet. Yes, so they need to get out of there before this invading force kills and, and converts them all. Should have taken the money, Tombs. Yep, should have taken the money, Tombs. You would have been <laughs> long gone by now. Should have taken the money, Tombs. So there's this sort of race where the prisoners escape to the surface and they see on the horizon the atmosphere just catching fire. And are the Necromongers also coming at this point? Yes. So we got the Necromongers who are still in the sky. They haven't landed yet. We have the prisoners who have made it to the surface and need to outrun Dawn. And then we have the Jailers... I think Tombs is killed before this happens. But the jailers are trying to escape under the surface, trying to get to Tombs' ship. So there's this action-packed moment where they're outrun. It's where all the big sort of action set pieces are, where they're trying to outrun the Dawn. Um, there's a part where they're on rope and they're trying to stay in the shadows. Yeah, a couple of prisoners die swing here. between the, sw- the sun. Well, that's what Riddick does in order to save Kira, who yes. I let's just keep calling her Jack. Nobody so much cooler. Kira. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not that Kira isn't a cool name. I like Kira as a name. It's not Jack. Everyone likes Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so he has he tells all the prisoners basically keep up. We run at one pace, my pace, except the one time where he's like, nope, I got to stop. I got to go back. I got to risk my life is to save Kira, who's on this like cliffside. And so completely exposed to the sun. This one dude is trying to hide in a crevice. And when the sun reaches him, he turns to ash and he swings around. He, he douses himself in water and he swings around and grabs Kira, Jack, and brings her back up on the other side. When they get to the top of the cliff, there's like this wall of rock. It's going to protect them from direct exposure to sunlight and swings her up. And she's like, oh, God, I'm alive. And she looks at him and he's just steaming. Literally. Yes. Uh, Another badass moment. Yes. All of the jailers are dead by now, I think. But when they get to the ship, this is when the necromongers show up. And specifically, Carl Urban's Vako. And Riddick just starts and the taking out the necromongers. Yeah. Until Vako Batmans somebody. <laughs> He Batman? What does that mean to Batman somebody? He breaks his back. Oh, yes. No, he he does that to Riddick. He drops him on his back. Or, yeah, he drops his back onto his knee like a wrestling move. Why wouldn't that break his back like it does to Batman? 
Oh, because Riddick is so strong. Well, I mean, wrestlers do it all the time. Stronger than Batman? Wrestlers do it literally all the time. So what, is Batman just fragile? No, though I think the point is, is that Bane is so strong, he throws him down on his back and... Sma- like, if you've seen the, the, the panel in the comics, you got this giant buff roided out Bane, and, and Batman is, like, bent backwards. Like, he's, his back is literally broken because Bane is so strong. But yes, Vako lifts him up and, like, slams him down and then leaves Riddick there and takes Kira and is like, fuck it, I'm done fighting you. You're dead anyway. I, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And I'm taking Kira as a prisoner. And... The purifier hides and stays behind and ends up dragging Riddick's unconscious body out of the sunlight and saving him. Mm-hmm. And then the purifier tells him basically, well, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> you have a fresh start. Vako is almost certainly going to return to the Lord Marshal and tell him that he killed you. If you want, you could just fucking leave. But he also took Jack. Do with that what you will. Hey, did you know I'm a Furion too? The Furion inside me hopes that you won't listen. Yes, he's to me. he's suggesting that he leaves and he says, I hope you won't listen to to me. Mm-hmm. Uh and then, you know, he he gives that tears in the rain speech, takes off his shit. I've done unbelievable things. In the name of a religion that isn't even mine. And apparently that wasn't scripted. That was Linus Roach asking Just to have like that line. Just like Tears in the Rain exactly. was scripted. Exactly. When I say it is a Tears in the Rain moment, Rudger Hauer moment, that's what I'm talking about. He, he asked if he could use that line. I've done unbelievable things in the name of a faith that was never my own. And he'll do to her what he did to me. The necromonger in me warns you not to go back. But the Furion in me... ...hopes you won't listen. God knows. I've dreamed of it. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate. All those moments will be lost. In time, like tears in rain, time to die. Because the concept is, is they convert you forcibly to their religion, right? Mm -hmm. So, and he just walks out into the sun, dies just like. Rudger Hauer, you know, he doesn't walk out into the sun, but he knows he's going to shut down mm-hmm. and he gives the speech and then shuts down and does not kill the main character, mm-hmm. even though he has the perfect opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. So Riddick is like, fuck, OK, I'm going back to Helion Prime. 
I've got to save Jack. We have not been talking about Vako and... Dame Vako, yeah. Uh, their whole Macbeth situation going on. It is basically Macbeth. She wants greater things. She wants Vako to eventually become the Lord Marshal. Because, again, you take what you kill. Mm -hmm. And she is trying to convince Vako to kill the Lord Marshal. That's part of the reason why when Riddick shows back up, she's like, let him attack him. And then you kill him. Kill the beast while it's wounded. I say we kill the beast! Exactly. That's her plan. It is very much just Macbeth. (laughs) (laughs) Except we don't get to see Vako be Lord Marshal and be all paranoid and everything. Correct. And he doesn't get his chance. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But before they do, when they think they're going to get it, we get a crazy Dutch angle of them walking. Yeah. With some serious... Angst. What's that word on your... The look on your face when... I guess it is a... Determination. Oh, okay, yeah. Some serious determination on their faces as they walk down a hallway on a sideways angle. Mm -hmm. It's very silly. They also still have Judy Dench... And they're keeping her alive, I guess, because it's this weird sort of like gentleman's agreement that they have where she's not allowed to leave, Look, but they won't kill her. Judy Dench didn't know what was going on. Neither do we. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nobody knows. Riddick probably knows. So Vako's promoted, which is good, but not good enough for Dame Vako's point of view. But Riddick still shows up. And this is where Dame Vako is like. Oh, he's still alive? This is terrible. They're going to know that you lied. This is the worst thing ever. Wait a minute. Because when Vako's like, I I must tell the Lord Marshal. No, don't. First of all, you don't want to admit that you lied. Second of all, he will be caught unawares. And this is where you can kill the wounded animal. Kill the beast! But when he shows up to the Lord Marshal, the Lord Marshal is like, you can't kill me. I'm too powerful, and I convert everyone, and I will convert you, just like I converted this young woman, who is now like my queen, I guess. <laughs> and it's Jack. Yes. She's been converted. Yes. But here's the thing. We already know that the conversion process, Isn't while perfect. effective, not is perfect. not perfect. It yeah. leaves parts of you there. Uh-huh. And it just doesn't make any sense that he would just be like, I've completely converted this chick and I'm not worried about her at all. Uh Uh-huh. So Rita gets pissed. He fights the Lord Marshal and Lord Marshal basically beats him up a whole lot. Yeah. Finally, somebody he can't beat. Yeah. But at the same time, Lord Marshal tries to take out his soul and cannot. Yeah. So he starts to pull his soul out. And it's this thing where it's like, okay, so what you're telling me is if you can rip my soul out of my body, physically separate my body and my spirit, then I die. Well, what if as you're pulling my soul away from me, I move physically towards the soul that you're pulling away from me? All you've done is just moved me. Like, that's that's what the logic that's going on here. He's pulling the soul out of Riddick, and then Riddick just pushes his head forward to meet his soul and headbutts the marshal. <laughs> well, but also, Jack shows up and stabs him. Yes. But of course, because we need some sort of tragedy and we need to up the stakes, even though she gets the cheap shot in on the Lord Marshal incapacitating him, he kills her. Kira dies. Yeah, and... You think we'd care more, but since it's not Jack, we don't, really. Uh We kind of don't care. 
She's been converted. She fought against her conversion and then she dies. But we needed this movie to end with Riddick depressed and exhausted. So. Which is when Tandy Way, who I just love in this movie, she's so awesome. She has barely any role, but every time she's on screen, she's, she's just, just like thirsting incredible. for blood. And yes, yes. Just, in this, just in an amazing dress at <laughs> any moment. And she's just like, now, kill the beast while it's wounded. And so Vako comes down and Lord Marshall is like, yes, Vako, my general, kill him. And he's like, oh, I'm going to kill something. All right. And he brings his axe down and Lord Marshall is like, oh, shit, I better teleport away. And so we see his like sort of soul leave his body and he heads down this hallway in this great hall. But Riddick's there on the other side with a knife. And Vako's like, well, fuck. I'm <laughs> fucked. It's too late now. He moves away from Vako's axe, but right into Riddick's knife. Mm -hmm. The same knife that the Lord Marshal dared him to kill him with. Mm. And he does. And everyone's like... And in a very Conker's bad fur day, he yes. stumbles back into his... Okay, you say throne. Conker's... You say Conker's Bad Fur Day. We get a moment where it zooms out and he's sitting on the throne and he's just like exhausted and he's got his, his head in his hand. And then he looks up and he realizes he's sitting in the throne and everyone's there. And so is Vako. Dame Vako has, scro has screamed out, no, yes. when she realizes what happens. Yes. Uh, and then everyone gets down on one knee and bows to Riddick, including Vako, who tells him, you keep what you kill. Mm-hmm. You say Conquer's bad, Conquer's bad Fur Day because that's the way that game begins and ends. Yes. It's Conan. That's the story of Conan. Oh, is it? The little secret of this movie is that the Riddick franchise, it's just Conan. especially Chronicles of Riddick, is Conan in space. When we were watching <laughs> that, I sent a, a message in the group chat to my friends I said, is Chronicles of Riddick just Conan in space? And my buddy Lou, who we've talked about on the show before, just said one long, yes, all caps. I've been saying that for years. That's what I love about the Riddick stuff is what he says. Yeah, it's basically just Conan in space. Just a badass warrior, just doing badass shit, fighting mystics, you know. Yes, it's basically just Conan in space. So there you go. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But he comes from this warrior race. The race is wiped out except for one baby who's prophesied to kill. Well, there might be more because we found out that fucking the uh, purifier, purifier was, was a Furian. Uh -huh. So maybe in Riddick, he finds more Furians or something. So if you want to know the entire story of the Chronicles of Riddick, it goes. Escape from Butcher Bay and Assault on Dark Athena, which I'm sorry if you don't have a physical copy does not exist legally. Really? There were rights issues, and they had to take it off the digital marketplaces. Oh, my gosh. Uh, then, it, then Pitch Black, then Dark Fury, the animated interstitial, and then the Chronicles of Riddick, and then Riddick, which we may get to in the future. It's a little bit closer to horror like Pitch Black was, from what I hear. And then they're talking, and they have been talking for a very long time, about Riddick 4, Furia. I think is what it's called. So we probably get the story of Fury of the Planet. Who knows? <laughs> but it's just fucking fun. It is a badass. Lot of fun. And just enjoy it. <laughs> it's silly. It's ridiculous. If you want, you can tear it apart. But what fun is that? You know? Right. Because it's so much fun to watch. Uh huh. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 
50. 29%. Aww. As an action movie, Riddick offers some thrills. But as a sequel to Pitch Black, it's a disappointment. Oh, totally. It is not at all what you... what Like, if I wa- went and saw Pitch Black and I was like... Fuck yeah, I want to see another one. And then I saw this, I'm like, what? Yeah. But, I mean, I know, you know. We warned you going into this. Right. You have to go into it knowing this is a completely different movie. Yeah. It has a Metacritic of 38. (laughs) And for reference, and keep in mind, it's a completely different scale when we're talking games, right? But for reference, the two games, Butcher Bay and Dark Athena, have Metacritics of 90 and 80, respectively. Like, Escape from Butcher Bay has an average rating of 90. It's a very good game. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a cinema score of a B. People walked out of the theaters feeling pretty good about it. It's a lot of fun. I understand. Uh Uh-huh. So, do you think it is overrated or underrated? Underrated. Absolutely underrated. But by how much? Well, kind of a lot, because it's 29 is the Rotten Tomatoes score. So, what would you give it? 69, dudes. 69, dudes! Yeah, I don't know if I can get up into 70 here, but I, just because it has a great place in my heart, I'm going to give it a 70. I was thinking I could even be swayed to go a little bit higher, like a 71 or a 72, but we're then getting a little bit too close to what I like about Pitch Black. Now, as a movie, like, what would I rather watch? I don't know. They're They're a little bit too different to compare so directly. They scratch different itches. But as a horror movie, Pitch Black is definitely better. This basically isn't much of a horror movie. No, except for the fact that... Which is a bit of a bummer. There are these people that are willing to kill entire civilizations, and they can steal your soul. It's as much of a horror movie, if not more, than Independence Day was. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. That is 2004's The Chronicles of Riddick. We are two-thirds of the way through the Riddick franchise, which... Did you think we were going to cover this on the show? We are. <laughs> we did. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a weird week. Yep. Why is it a weird week, Kelsey? Before you tell us what we're watching, why is it a weird week? We have a guest coming on next week. A uh, returning guest. Yes, you guys have heard her before. This is Jesse, not the first Jesse you heard. The second Jesse you second heard, Jessie. but not the last Jesse you heard. <laughs> the last Jesse is the same as the first Jesse. <laughs> this is the middle Jesse. Yes. She's <laughs> back. She is back. And because of her, we're watching some weird movies. Because she likes she weird, likes weird shit, movies, guys. But, but so do we. She's the one that made us watch Hagazusa. <laughs> yes, that was on her episode. Yeah. So, what are we watching with Jesse? So, it's also the middle of the summer. <laughs> Just putting that out there. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Oh, so squish those two words together and what do you get? Midsommar. (laughs) So we're going to watch Midsommar along with another weird movie (laughs) that none of us have seen. Uh, So Jesse is actually the one that got us to see Midsommar. Midsummer, mm. and I did not expect to like it, and then I ended up really liking it yeah. to the point that I saw it several times. But I mean, it's the dude who did Hereditary. Yes, he loved Hereditary. Yes. So there you go. So the other movie we're gonna watch, because okay, 
Seriously, guys, I tried. I really did try to look for movies that were similar in themes or similar in ideas to Midsommar. And it was very difficult to find old movies that we have not already covered. I mean, yeah, I, you could. we were talking about a cult culture that might be threatening in some way. Like, well, we already covered The Wicker Man, mm-hmm. you know, so but there are a few of those movies out there. But what are we watching with it? But. So I tried looking up a lot of movies that other people suggested that I watch. Uh Every single one couldn't find it anywhere. Can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. So I gave up on that and was like, you know what? There is a bizarre movie that I have wanted to see for a long time. Chris and I have seen it on a lot of lists of people that think say it's good. And then I brought it up with Jesse and Jesse was like, I've been wanting to see that too. We're going to see the 1970s Japanese film, House. Yeah, I've heard a lot of things about House. It's one of those, like, you haven't seen House? Mm -hmm. This is different from House or House 2 Second Story that we've already watched on this show. Yeah. This is a Japanese movie. Oftentimes, just like The Ring is referred to as Ringu when, when it's in Japanese, this is Hausu. You don't really pronounce the U at the end of it anyway, but... We talked about it when we talked about Ringu. Okay. Uh, so Haosu is what we're going to be watching. So, yeah, really, really interested to see what that's all about. It's a little infamous, so we'll see. Yeah. So Weird Week is next week with one of the Jessies. Also, Midsummer was recommended to us. By a couple different people, actually. Miss Pizza, Samuel, and or Sammy, and Stacy all recommended Midsummer to us. Yes, which we are excited to do. We very much enjoy Midsummer. Let me see. It, not to say it isn't flawed, and I will definitely let you guys know about certain things that I didn't like about it, but on the whole, it's very good. Yeah. And now we all know that chick from the new Black Widow movie. Oh, yeah, Florence Pugh. I was like, oh, it's Midsummer chick. Yeah. <laughs> that is... Next week. Oh, we should also probably re-mention, I don't know if we mentioned in this episode, but JP recommended we watch Pitch Black. So thank you very much, JP. Yes, thank you, JP. <laughs> Until next week, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery, where we post a lot of the visual elements that we talk about. Also things that we forgot to talk about while the mics were recording. So make sure you follow us there at Pod Cemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is a huge, huge help. If you haven't already done it, please, please do that. Even just one more five-star written review is a big bonus to us. So thank you very, very much for those of you who have done that already. Even bigger than that, though, is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is you just listening to this in the first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I truly don't know what's going to happen when the lights go out, Carolyn. But I do know, once the dying starts, this little psycho fuck family of ours is going to rip itself apart. I don't want to be Cemetery. I don't want to live my life
stuck in my head which song happy healthy not me if you ever bothered to ask oh right yeah just keeps playing on the radio over and over again it's just like that one uh alanis morissette song yeah but so was you pointed it out so was taylor swift yeah totally I mean, it just makes me go back to the what's the what's the fucking song where it's like uh um you ought to know yeah yeah you ought to know i'm here no where she says like to remind you you seem like you're doing okay i'm not quite as well i thought you should know like that's that's the thesis of the entire song mm-hmm do you know that I once had a teacher mark points off on my essay because I wrote centered around? She said you can't do that. Because the center is in the middle and it can't be around anything? Well, the center of the thing is around, so that is the center, but yeah, that's dumb. That's stupid. She literally took points off. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She's very prescriptive and not descriptive. Literally nobody would misunderstand what you said. Literally nobody. Yeah. She's a bitch. Mm -hmm. She did not like me. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. That's how... I was going to say Shiraz? What's her name? <laughs> Whoops. Hold on. Shanna? It's Sharon, but it's short for something. Shaza. An orrery. <laughs> An orrery. There are two ways that people drink that aren't through their mouth. One is through their butthole, and the other is taking a shot in the eye. What? Yeah. People do that? Uh-huh. Doesn't that... Hurt? <laughs> yeah. But, like, wouldn't that destroy your eye? I imagine it disinfects. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I have no idea. Never Did done it. Isn't the eye super, super fragile? Yeah, but it's constantly wet. It's submerged in fluids all the time, so... It's just if liquor burns your throat, I imagine it would... Yeah, I don't know. Ah! <laughs> Doesn't bother you as much as the butthole? No. <laughs> I mean, that's just weird. Like, I'm just like, what? Why would you want to? But the eye thing, like, literally, like, I'm just like... That would destroy your eyes. But anyway. Looks clear. You said it was clear. I said it looked clear. Well, how does it look now? Looks clear. He, 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 I was supposed to die in France. I never even saw France. And, and they wouldn't exist very, like, you cannot, it's a. He did not know who he was fucking with. Rada takes one, Fry. The chronic what? Oh, oh damn it. Oh. Oh, damn it. I was gonna, that's how I was gonna introduce the movie, and I completely forgot. The Chronic, what, Coles of Riddick? <laughs> oh, well, this will go in the outtakes. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does, damn it. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha 
so self-conscious now. If this doesn't come off very, very well. I'll record two and see how I feel. <laughs> this makes me laugh. You should know it makes me laugh. Have we said whether or not you should see it? What? Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, we recorded that in the last recording. What did we say? Yes, unless you did not like oh, how okay. ego strokey You're the right. first movie was. You're right. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the chronic what calls of Riddick begin? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How do the chronicles of Riddick begin? <laughs> Riddick, are you going to stop the new monsters now? Yeah. If I own this place in hell, I'd rent this place out and live in hell. Do it now while the beast is wounded. Been a long time since I've seen my own blood. Which was also used in 300, basically. Remember when he throws the spear at him and it cuts him? And everyone's like, oh shit. He has blood. He can bleed. He's not indestructible. 